Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. everyone and welcome to the sneaky dragon listening party my name is david dedrick and my name is mary dedrick and mary this is gonna be a bad show <laughs> this is gonna be a bad show yeah why are you mad at me a little bit you're, you're kind of so you're gonna are you gonna be like a i'm gonna go through moody teenager no times is that what's gonna happen no a lot of one word one word answers no well that's one word answer no <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, a lot of the, I think a lot of the interest in the shows that I'm learning, like you're, I'm learning things I haven't learned before. Yeah. Yeah. But I already learned all this stuff because we already talked about it. We already, we already did the show. Like, this is take two of the show. For some reason, we don't know why it disappeared from, from the SD card. Not sure what's going on. You recorded. In my digital life. All four hours of the show or whatever it was. <laughs> I think it's just a glitch in the Dedricks. Yeah. That's what it was. So, no thanks to that. No. We're going to take a quick, Mary, mm. we're going to get our thoughts together. Mm-hmm. We're going to listen to a song right now. Okay. And then we'll come right back. This is uh, not really related to our show. This is related to fans planners, but we're going to play it anyway. So here we go. This is um, Alan Janoff singing Portobello Road. Let's get Alan a listen. or Ellen? Ellen. Okay. Did I say Alan? Yeah, it sounded like it. I, I don't differentiate. Okay. Alan Janoff singing Portobello Road. Here we go. Smiles, walking down Portobello Road for miles, greeting strangers in Indian boots, yellow ties, and old brown suits. Growing old is my only danger. Blue flats and plastic socks, lampshades of old antique leather. Nothing that's sweet, not even a beer. All the boots made out. Broken down to litter, oh, and the clothes every 
And Mary, do you know why I played that song? Um, is it because the person who sang that song was also an actress in the movie The Horse with the Grey Flannel Suit, that's... which you covered on Fansplainers? <laughs> that's true. That's wow. <laughs> Look at how much I know about music and also movies from the 60s. 60s? Yep, 1969. So yeah, she, uh, Ellen Janoff, uh, she... Ellen? Yep. Ellen Janoff, she... <laughs> Sorry. Apparently I don't make a def- differentiation between the A and the E sound in names, so I'll have to learn that. Everyone named Andrew, you'll you'll have to write to me and let me know the problems I'm having. Uh, yeah, she before she was in the horse in the gray flannel suit, Mary, she she recorded this single for Capitol Records, and it was produced by Nick Vanette, who was kind of like a super producer at at Capitol Records. He produced the Beach Boys, for instance, their early albums. Mm-hmm. He produced Fred Neal. He produced Karen Dalton's first album, but he did a lot of work. We love Karen Dalton. We do love Karen Dalton. And he also produced this song for Ellen Janoff. And it's basically, I think it's kind of like a plug and play. She was a young ingenue and they, they, you know, had her her on contract. And so they took this song that was written by Cat Stevens, who we both like a lot, and Kim Fowley, who was kind of a, kind of a Hollywood scenester, uh, was in the Hollywood Argyles that did the song Ellie Oop. He was sort of an enfant terrible of, of music and uh, later became a producer, later became the manager of the Runaways, the all-girl rock and roll band that Joan Jett came out of. And yeah, so so they wrote this song together, I assume, or Cat Stevens wrote this song and Kim Fowley stole it from him and took it back to Hollywood and added his name to the credits. I don't know for sure. I'm not saying that happened. Right. I'm just saying... So this song mus- sounds a lot like a Cat Stevens song? It sounds a lot like a Cat Stevens song, and we're talking about the music business, right? <coughs> and so, yeah, so Ellen Janoff recorded this song, and then two years later, she was in the, well, probably a year, uh, a year later, she was making the film The Horse in the Grey Flannel Suit for, for Walt Disney, which she started with, and we talked about this on Fansplainers. Your mom and I, was we did a fill-in show together. And so I couldn't really play this song on Sticky Dragon, I didn't know about this song when I we did Horse in the Grey Flannel Suit. It's weird. I was just listening to a, a record called Have a... I think it's called like Have a Good Trip or Have a Trip. And it's a, there's two collections of Capitol recording artists who did like Sunshine Pop or kind of pop psych kind of stuff in the 60s. And this was on it. And I was just like... And it was credited to Ellie Janoff. And I mentioned it to your mom. And she goes, oh, yeah, that was Ellen Janoff from Horse in the Grey Flannel Suit. And I was like, wow. And the other thing about her is that she... After she... She kind of left the movie business and became uh, a therapist working for her dad, who was Arthur Janoff, who has a musical music connection in that he uh, did primal scream therapy with John Lennon. Hmm. And John Lennon took that therapy and turned it into his first album, uh, the Plastic Ono Band, their first the first record where he did a lot of songs that that arose from his primal therapy therapy. So there. So did uh, Ellie Janoff do um, primal scream therapy? Yes. Yeah. So she became a therapist. And unfortunately, she died quite young in a house fire. She was rescued from the house fire, but she died oh, of smoke inhalation. Right. So it kind of sad end for her. That is sad. In her mid-20s. But oh, wow. That's really young. Yeah, really young. Wow. Yeah, sad. It's too bad. But it's a good song. And I think I've been to Portobello Road in, in London. Okay. But I don't think it's what it was. Because once at what point of time, it was like kind of like... The Market Street. Right, where you could buy mushrooms. <laughs> buy mushrooms. <laughs> That's all they sold there. Yeah, just portable just mushrooms. Just portable mushrooms, one after another. Get your mushrooms here. Yeah. Get your mu- No, get your mushrooms over here. Yep. Get your- no, get your mushrooms over here. And you're- I don't know where to get mushrooms from. Why so many mushrooms, Portobello? So there we go. That's the start of the show. That's not 
not from our mixtape, by the way, Mary. That was just that was just a, was a, little, a bonus. A little bonus. It's like when you go on Wikipedia and you're looking at an album, and then you're like, "How come Japan got all these bonus tracks?" Yeah, that's right. Do you know why Japan got all those bonus tracks? No, because Japan buys CDs. Oh, like people in Japan, they're still like the world's biggest market for CDs. Are they? Yeah. Cool. So if you put a CD out in Japan, you better thank those people, right, for buying your stuff. Interesting. Because they hmm. they. There's they are huge music fans, and not only they create they're crazy music fans, they're like really niche music fans as well. So like when the rest of the world was like, uh, der, what's Sunshine Pop? Japan was like, oh, we've already been listening to it for ten years. Yeah, we're all over Sunshine Pop. Right. We have a whole whole subculture of kids that dress like Kurt Betcher. Right. You know. Yeah. There's, cool. That's how they are. That's cool. They've always been that way. Like most of the really good remasters and stuff like that come out of Japan. They're just crazy about music. What can they, what can they say? Interesting. It's good to know. It is good to know. So if you're like, looking for good music, you can go to Japan. Hmm. But you won't know what you're looking at because you can't read Japanese. Unless you can read Japanese. In which case, good for you. Yeah. Or you can recognize pictures. I'm sure they're actually the albums are in English because they're just they're not going to change the no the writing on you know more of the monkeys or whatever. Right. So there you go, Mary. I'm glad you enjoyed that. All right, so this is side one of our next mixtape, Mare. This was done for Ken Painter, listener to Sneaky Dragon. Cool. Sent in one CDR, unlike some people who are, wanted more than one CDR. Right. Well, he just wanted your best. <laughs> and look what he got. Mm. My whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Ken is a musician himself. He's not a painter? He's not a painter. I know that's oh. hard to believe. Uh, a person who doesn't do... What is what his name? Yeah, implies. it's not not actually that unusual. Nope. So then, uh, for example, okay, murder she wrote. Yeah, she did not make arrows professionally. She was a murder writer. Jessica Fletcher. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, how about Archer in the t- the TV show Archer? Is he's he... not an archer. He's not. He's, he he does not buy arrows from Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> he does not buy arrows. No. Huh? Is there another name for someone who makes makes bows? So a, bow, a person who makes bows is different than a person who makes arrows, right? Yeah. So yeah. Fletcher is a person who makes Fletcher arrows. Fletcher is a person who makes arrows. And a person who makes bows is a bowyer? It's not right at all. A bowyer is a thing. Yeah, I don't think that's... But I don't think it's that. I think, no. wouldn't they be like a bowsmith or something? But aerosmith is also someone who makes arrows, right? I don't think so. I think it's a band. I think you're right. This is a music podcast. So. <laughs> <It> makes sense. <laughs> Good to come around. Mm-hmm. Good to come around to that. Yeah. Thank you. I like it. Okay. So... Yeah, this is for Ken. Like I said, Ken is a musician. So I think I kind of approach this in the sense that I kind of feel like he knows certain sort of music. So I I didn't go that way too much. Like I wanted to sort of be, you know, make a kind of a sampler of music that I like. So this is two um, people in a row who are musicians. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, Mare, we're going to start with a little band that are called Spiritualized. And their album, and this song, is called Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space. Wait, wait, sorry. Spiritualized? Yeah. Okay. Like, in the like the past tense verb? Yes. Wait. Spiritualized is not a verb. It's a fake word, isn't it? Spiritualize is it a... It seem like a real word. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's not a real word. Spiritualized. I feel like it's pretty uncommon for a band name to be a past tense verb. I think you're right. I think you're you right. You know? no band's name. The band's... Wait. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a band's name. I'm trying to think of a band's name that's a verb in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me think now. The it's not kinked. Yeah, no, you're right. It's not. <laughs> trying to think of band's names. Yeah, I can't think of any either. I mean, the Runaways. We just named them. 
They're not the runaways. It's not a verb. But either spiritualized. Spirit. Oh. So they're not the runaways. Right. I guess spiritualized is not. A... Well, but no. It, no, but it's in... a. I think it's a. It's a verb or something. Yeah. That, but I just mean to, you said it's not a real word. Well, I don't think it is. It might be. Okay. But they're conjugating it like it is a verb. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right, Mary. You put on your go. Le- go. Is there a band called Go? Mm, no. I don't think so. I was thinking it would be funny to have a band called Went. The Go Team. The Went Team. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Right. Well, let's give a listen to uh, the song, ladies and gentlemen. We are floating in space. This is from, as I said, the album of the same name from 1997. Here we go, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space. Giant step each day All I want in 
and we're back. And as per custom, Mary. Yes. Do you have some thoughts on this song? Do I? <laughs> I do. I liked it. You like the song? Yeah, it was a good song. Oh, do I? I'm gonna mark. I'm gonna start marking again. Okay. Where's your pen? I don't know where. This wasn't right there. Right? No, over uh, other direction. Okay. I got one. Okay. I'm gonna mark. Oh, did you didn't give a review of Portobello Road? Did you like that song? Yeah, I like Cat Stevens. And Ellen Janoff, though you never met her. I've not ever met Ellen Janoff. So not Alan. I've never ever met Ellen, Alan Janoff either. <laughs> Shoot. Um. Ah, oh, see, people at work bug me that I say always when I but apparently it's, you just say always. Yeah. But I often say always. Interesting. Or always. And always. I, leave the, I leave the L off entirely. Always. In a Canadian way of just dropping all consonants. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Toronto. It's a it's a little thing we do where it we is. turn T's into D's and yeah. soften everything as much yeah. as we can. We're a soft country. It's true. Soft spoken people. We're soft. We soften everything, <laughs> I guess. Except for our military record as a country. It's pretty mm. impressive for a small country like ours. I mean, small in what sense? Small as in population size. Oh, okay. Hmm. Guess so. All right. I'm nodding my head at Mary. Yeah. You can't see that listener. It's bad podcast. So you anyway. liked it. So you liked it. Yeah, I liked it. Um, a lot of it reminded me of Sofiane Stevens. Okay. Who, whom I love. Yes. Which we know. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, like felt like it had kind of like a like a bleeps and bloops kind of sound. Sure. Sure. And um, that thing he did when he would like overlay his own voice, but auto, but it was auto tuned. Okay. And like just like the generally like sort of rhythmic singing mm -hmm. all very sofian to me interesting i like how it's sort of like a round i like that mm. he's singing the same words but it's you know it's like starting in different parts and then it's sort of repeating over and over again in the background i like that part of it i i like that song a lot i was um i was in the wonderful city of kamloops i went there with your mom in the summertime and it is a it's a hot city it's very hot there and we got there, and I guess the idea was that when we got there, I was going to be able to get into the hotel room and edit Sneaky Dragon in the morning while she was teaching or I'm testing. Sorry, when was this? This was a couple of years ago. Okay. So we went up to do some pony club testing. Our mom went up to do some pony club testing, and I just tagged along like a bum. Sure. And so I brought my laptop and everything, and I was going to edit Sneaky Dragon when I got there. But here's the thing, Mayor. Hotels, they have their rules. They don't let you check until three. Yeah. They don't let you check in until three. That is one of the rules. So well known. So I uh, check out at eleven. Check in at three. Yeah. So I couldn't check in right away, and so I I did work on the show for a while, but then my computer died because there was no uh, power in the, the the lounge I was sitting in. Oh, obvious power. So then I thought, oh well, I guess I'll just walk around the town and and go through a little tour of downtown Kamloops. And so I did a tour of all the thrift stops that were in the downtown. Oh, nice. Kamloops. And Kamloops for people who aren't from here, Kamloops is a moderately large town for the interior of British Columbia. Yes, it's probably one of the larger towns in in, in the interior, it's which no, isn't saying much. It's no Kelowna. It's no Kelowna and it's definitely no Prince any George. part of any part of Vancouver. Oh yeah, part no. Of, you know. That's like not even can't even compare. But um yeah, so I was walking around and I went It is a population. Wait, do you want to guess the population oh, of Kamloops? Population of Kamloops. I'm going to guess I'm going to guess 200,000 that not enough or too too much 90,000 holy cow that is small mhm mm maybe maybe is closer to 200,000 maybe but not probably not even that much mm, Kelowna might be Kelowna's pretty big but well Kelowna and West Kelowna but it's i think if you including like the area around it it's about 100,000 for Kamloops hmm. wow yeah it's not a big place but it's a nice place it's a nice it's a nice town it is it has a university yeah it's got it's um 
like the downtown area is like a typical downtown area for any city nowadays in that most of the shopping is gone and everything's been replaced by thrift stores right or like um places to help the homeless and stuff like that and then there's a few like law firms and stuff but most of it's kind of most of the shopping has moved away from there there was a comic book store that i i went to cool and then there were some thrift stores including value village but i I was in a small like hospital auxiliary one or maybe a maybe a Bible Hospital auxiliary thrift stores are the best. Why? Because they're very well organized and they're very well curated. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in Summerland, yeah. uh, Eve, or a few weeks, no, about a month ago, Eve and I were walking around town and we were visiting a few different thrift stores. Mm-hmm. And we went into one and Eve looked around and said, is this a hospital auxiliary? We like looked at the window and it was <laughs> because it was just like very well organized as okay. opposed to the other ones where you walk in and it's just like absolute chaos. It's like very neat. Yeah. They have like a very specific way of organizing things and it's very tidy. Yeah. You know? That's true. Yep. Well, you know, your grandma volunteers it. Oh, I've also volunteered there. Yes, that's right. You have. A fair amount. That is true. So, yeah. And so I was there. So I, and I always read about this album in British music magazines because it's a very well thought of album. And so I always wanted to get it. I remember looking at it in record stores, but I couldn't quite justify paying 20 bucks for a record I never heard anything of and you know just on on a on spec so i kind of put i kind of dilly-dallied on that but then i found it in this thrift store and i was just like oh i've always wanted to hear this so i bought it and i listened to it and i loved this song and then i didn't really like the rest of the album i thought it was so so and yeah i just that was okay it didn't really have any knockout tracks except for this one i really this one yeah yeah, i really enjoyed the 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 melody of this and everything of this song because you know me i'm a melody guy yes well i'm glad that you were able to find one that worked well for you one song? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it could have been a total bust. Sure. It was only $2, so I was not think yeah. I was killing myself to get it, but, but yeah, it was fine. So Spiritualize uh, was started when, uh, basically by members of the Space Rock, or I would say Drone Rock band. They were called Spacemen 3. When the band leaders of that band, Jason Pierce was one of them, who went by the name, while he was in, while he was in Spacemen 3, he went by the name J Spaceman, like the, the letter J dot or period, spaceman, spaceman. And then another guy named Pete Kember, who went by the, the nom de tune Sonic Boom, uh, they had a falling out, which, you know, tends to happen in bands. Right. It doesn't matter what band it is. There tends to be some friction or something happens and people stop being friends with each other. Except for Sloan, the perfect band. <laughs> they seem to get along very well. They've had their issues, but yeah. So Pierce basically recruited the rest of the the group that kind of supported him and, and Kember. He just just took the remainder of the band and he got them to work on his first solo project and he adopted the name of the band from the copy uh, uh, i guess some co- writing on the back of a bottle of pernod which is i guess a type of alcohol i think pernod yeah p-e-r-n-o-d hmm. so i guess on the back it says something like prepare to be spiritualized or something like that's some little bit of of cool copy on oh the back also of i this. looked it up and um miriam webster says it's a word oh okay elevate to a spiritual level there you are so yeah, that's a good name, I think. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, is the band's third album, which was recorded in the wake of Pierce's calamitous breakup with his then girlfriend Kate Radley, who was a keyboardist in Spiritualized. Right. But she secretly married the Verve's Richard Ashcroft in 1995. Hmm. So, so I guess I don't know if she secretly married him without telling Jason Pierce that she was going to get married. Or if they were still going out and she didn't inform him that 
They were not going out they anymore? They weren't going out anymore. I don't really know the whole story behind hmm. it. But he said he has said that the songs were written before the breakup. But that sounds like someone who just wants, you know, wants her pride left intact. One thing that's interesting about this song is that originally the song incorporated the lyrics and melody of the Elvis Presley song. It's not really, it's not a song written by Elvis Presley, but it's most associated with him. The song Can't Help Falling in Love. Do you know that one, Mary? It's like... Yeah, I'm not a fan. Wise men say do, 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 Yes. No, I know that one. Okay. I, Dad, yeah. I work with seniors. Oh. And we have entertainers <laughs> come in regularly, so I know that song. <laughs> I guess that would be a pretty pretty good solid one to play for for the old old folks. Yep, it is. Sorry. Plus, yep. a lot of the people who come in mm-hmm. are single singers, and they do they either play play guitar or just have like music like um canned music. Okay, you know, and mm. like the kind of croony stuff, mm. you know, rather than like the faster stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they do a lot of Frank Sinatra. And... Oh yeah, they do. <laughs> Strangers in the night. Remember this one, folks. Exchanging glances. And looking really good over there, darling. Strangers yes, in the night. That's exactly it. And then they always do something like, Well, you guys might not have heard of this guy, Buddy Holly. I'm like, everyone's heard of Buddy Holly. <laughs> might not have heard of this little four piece band from Britain. I'm like Well, he has to remind them, dear. No, I know. They are pretty old. They're not that old. They are pretty, I'm pretty like, old. The Kinks. He's like, No no, no it's no, it's the Beatles. <laughs> the ruttles is it the ruttles it's like no it's the beatles how could you not know who this british band was i just said they're a four piece from one direction is it one direction there's five in one direction not after zane left is it jerry and the pacemakers it is not jerry and the pacemakers is it the hollies no Were the zombies British? How many were there? <laughs> no, there's only two in the Carpenters. Um, so your heckling's getting lazier. <laughs> Can someone please escort this young girl out of here? She's clearly too young to be listening I'm to these songs. I'm your only audience. <laughs> Everyone else is knitting or sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> that old folks nodding off to your Stranger Than Eight. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, but apparently the Elvis Presley estate objected to the use of this song, and so they had to um, rewrite the lyrics and kind of redo that section. But I actually preferred how it's done. I always find it well. Yes, I agree. But I always find it interesting when people do that. Do what? Like, oh, we don't want you to use use our song. Wouldn't Mm. they get money? Mm. Yeah, like often it's like. Also, it's not like it's not like it's gonna get. It's not like it's not like people are gonna be like. Oh, I love this song. It's a spiritualized song, right? <laughs> like, they're not going to usurp Elvis Presley. Like, no one knows this band. You don't know that. You don't know no. that. But, but you I can make a pretty good guess that they're not going to be bigger than Elvis. It's often a morals thing. So, like, say with spiritualized, like, Jason Pierce is a a ve- vehement uh, advocate for drug taking. And not just for marijuana, for all kinds of hallucinogens and okay. is uppers he one and of those, downers. And... Is he one of those, like... Oh, if you have depression, you should just microdose with LSD kind of guys. I think he probably would say that, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But um, he's definitely the kind of person who like, I mean, one of one of Spaceman 3's albums is called People Taking Drugs to Make Music to Take Drugs By, or, or for people to take drugs by. Okay. So it's, you know, you can, that's kind of their thing. Their thing was, yeah. we're, gonna, we're taking drugs. We're taking, we're taking LSD. We're taking uppers, downers. 
we're right. doing whatever. I, right. I, you know, I don't know if they did heavier opiates and stuff like that, but you never know. Mm-hmm. It is. It does. You know, one thing leads to another sometimes. Yeah, they may have been like, well, this guy doesn't have much of a, you know, doesn't have a great reputation. Mm-hmm. He's obviously, you know, someone who's a drug addict. Do we want him associated with our dear Elvis's song that everyone knows him by? And do we want to associate that song with Elvis Presley, who was clearly not a drug addict? Otherwise, he wouldn't have died. He would have died of a drug overdose if he was a drug. Oh, wait a second. Anyway, uh, maybe you can um, use the song. I don't know if you know this, Dad. Elvis actually isn't dead. <laughs> Sorry. Now there's JFK Jr. Yep. Um, all, are they all working with Trump to uh, bring about the... Yeah. Neither is Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love wish fulfillment. Yeah. And conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. Know, it's they... like, and it's like, if Elvis was still alive... Yeah. How old would he be? In his 70s. He'd be in his 70s now? That doesn't seem right. I feel like he'd be older than that. Maybe. I don't know. What, he's 20 in the 50s, so... Born in the 30s? So he'd be like 90? Yeah, I guess he would... I guess he would be in like yeah maybe in his eighties I guess. I'm just saying if Elvis Presley was still alive, he would not be going around <laughs> working mm-hmm. against wait working I don't know doing conspiracy theory and garbage. Yeah, I'm not too sure what exactly he's doing. I'm not clear on how it works. Oh yeah, no one is. <laughs> okay, I'm glad that's clear. All uh, these all these people believe in a 4chan prank that has never once made a correct prediction. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. You think it's a 4chan prank? Yeah. That's how it started? Yeah. As a prank? Yeah. Hmm. Just someone trolling on 4chan and people started believing them and they were like, okay. <laughs> I'll go with this. Sure. Why not? I can sell some shirts. They were like, yeah, I can like post some garbage. Sure. Why not? Just one more thing about this song. Mm-hmm. And that, that is that later the Elvis, Pre- Pres- Elvis Presley estate gave their permission for the lyrics to be used. And so more modern versions of the album have both versions of the song on it. The one with the I can help falling in love with you part. And the one with this uh, this style. But like I say, I can't imagine it being better than this version. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I like I Can't Help Falling in Love with You. Okay. It's, it's an okay song. It's fine. But it's not my favorite Elvis I'm not song. a big Elvis fan. No, me neither. When we were on our road trip, Duncan brought a CD of Elvis songs. It was like top, his best ones. His best one. So did it have Hound Dog? Mm-hmm. Jailhouse Rock? Yep. A whole lot of shaking going on? No, mm. not shaking going on. Did it have Blue Suede Shoes? Probably. Did it have GI Blues? Mm, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. I've run out of songs. I was not. A, I'm not. A, I just. I Heartbreak didn't... Hotel. He lived at the end of Lonely Street in Heartbreak Hotel. Do he feels so lonely, baby? I. It's possible we brought that one out of rotation pretty quickly. You played it once, and you're just like whoop out the window of the car. Yeah, it was. I think it was more of like a I should like Elvis kind of thing. You should like Elvis. Yeah. Yeah, that's the wrong attitude to bring to music listening, I think. Yeah. Don't you think so? Yes. That you should like something? Yeah. Being like, oh, everyone likes this guy. I'm going to try him out. And then getting there and being like, no. <laughs> no, not for me. Sorry, Elvis. I'm not a fan of crooners. You're just not a fan of people named Elvis. True. Elvis Costello. I like New Amsterdam. And that's true. Chelsea. Chelsea. I don't want to go to Chelsea. I don't want to go to Chelsea. That's yep. a good song, too. And Kinder Murder. Oh, yeah, that's a good song. How about... Blue Chair? I don't know that one. I think if I played it for you, you'd know it. Because it used Probably. to be on a mixtape. It used to be on a mixtape. I might like it. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good song. Anyway. Anyway. Elvis. Let's I'm move on. I'm not a fan of Frank Sinatra either. Anyway. Not a fan of Frank Sinatra? Nope. No, it's a little... It's a bit too removed for me. Yeah. I have tried to like Frank Sinatra. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember listening to like a long documentary about him on CBC mm-hmm. by a person who obviously thought very highly of him. Right. Going on about what a great singer he was and what yeah. how revolutionary he was in his day. Yeah. Which makes sense. Oh yeah. You know, and like I'm like, okay, that's great. I mean I'm 
I can see that I w- I'll never take anything away from him as being an innovator or someone who, you know, made a step forward in, in how music is right. Performed. Same with Elvis, right? Mm-hmm. But like, but I feel I like just... yeah, I just feel like there's like a for me there's almost like a, a kind of a wall between you know pre pre sixties music and then post sixties music or music that came after you know in the sixties. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like I I can listen to girl groups from the early sixties. I'm perfectly happy listening to that stuff. I can listen to doo-wop groups from the early 60s, and yep. I, I think it's and I, I like it. But for whatever reason, yeah, like rockabilly, just rockabilly, is no, not my and thing. Cr- crooners like that. Frank Sinatra, Elvis, kind of like, ooh, you know, <laughs> I just can't. Not a so, fan. and there's something particularly bad about being it being sung at you by some guy playing canned music. That's what I was asking you. Do you, which do you prefer, people who play a guitar and sing along with their guitar playing, or a guy who brings in like a tape of of his music and the, or of uh, a song like karaoke tracks and sings along right. with those? I mean, I think it's the same. Mm. Usually, the difference is we'll have like a band versus an individual guy. Yeah. Usually, if it's just one person coming in on his own, he usually I th- I think the idea is that you use canned music because you're able to be more interactive if you're not having to also play an instrument. Okay. Right. Whereas usually if you have people playing instruments and singing, you have multiple people and there'll be like one person who does most of the interacting. Okay. And then people who do more sort of music playing. I see. Um, because like doing that, it's a fine line between like interacting and playing music. You know, you don't want to do like too much talking because we've had that before with groups mm-hmm. where they spend way too much time talking and people don't like it. Cause they, can't, they can't really hear what they're saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. No, but then you don't want to be entertained. Yeah, but then like you also want people to be interacting with the audience. You don't want someone to someone to come and just like play songs for an hour and then leave. Yeah, right. Like yeah. you want them to be like making jokes and like saying stuff and being like, "Hey, dance your feet" and like encouraging people. And like we've got one guy who like jumps around a lot. Okay, you know he's like always like moving around. He's like just like. Makes me tired watching him, but um, I think for the residents, it's great, right? Because yeah. he's so, like, into it. And, yeah, lively. Yeah, lively, and people will, like, get up and start dancing and stuff, which is fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, yeah, he's good. He he brings canned music. Like, I don't think it's bad to bring canned music, right? Like, yeah. I think it's just, it's just, like, one way of performing. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing is these people aren't, they're not rock stars, you know? Like, they're performing in... And they don't have to be. They're performing in... Um, yeah. Like, we have people come and play, like... They just croon the whole time, and then people come up to me afterwards and say, I wish you would get people who wouldn't just play these rock and roll songs the whole time. And I'm like, <laughs> is this rock and roll to you? Are you serious? I'm like, what do you want? And they're like, hymns. I'm like, okay. Next person will be all hymns, Agnes. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. They like hymns. You said you call... But they're called thems now. So... Let's go to our next song, Mary. Okay. This is Judy Sill. You like Judy Sill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song is called I'm Over. Yes. Very bl- good song. I believe you played before on the show, but we're going to listen to it again. Cool. From her, from her, um, well, it's not really her album, but from a collection of tracks that were released after her passing. This is uh, from Dreams Coming True. It came out in 2005. The song is I'm Over. I think you're going to enjoy this song, everyone. I am very confident that you're going to enjoy this song. If you come here to listen to music, if you come to the Rumpus Room to sit in our beanbag chair... We haven't brought up the Rumpus Room in a while. I just did. If you come to a Rumpus Room, mm-hmm. sit in the beanbag chair yep. with your drink of your choice, mm-hmm. hopefully it's a Coke yep. or a Slurpee. Yes. If you, or a milkshake. Or a milk, milkshake if you prefer. If you come here... I don't know if I want all the boys in the yard, Mary. 
Don't bring a milkshake, everyone. Wait, you're not inviting the boys to come listen to music? Not in the yard. I don't want the boys in the yard. Oh, okay. And we all know what happens with milkshakes. So, well, if you want to bring a milkshake. Okay, bring a milkshake. That's fine. That's oh, okay, fine. okay. That's fine. So, if you're going to do that, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you love music. Mm-hmm. That's why you're here. That's why you've come to sit around the old Victrola. Right. With Mary and I. Yes. Who always need to be hogging the coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is, Mary. But we always are hogging the coach and leaving the beanbag chair to other people. Mm-hmm. I don't find beanbag chairs that comfortable. No, they're not. They're terrible. But they're che- it was cheap and we needed more, ch- more right. seating because we didn't, you know, we didn't have that much. The beanbag chair is another prank. Are they another of these pranks that have gotten out of control? <laughs> I don't think a beanbag chair was a prank. Nah. I think it was like it was like a, a cheap way to, to have I think someone in your was cre- like, hey... My friend's coming over. I'm yeah. going to set up something terrible for him to sit in. <laughs> and I set it up and the guy was like, oh, this is pretty comfortable. I was like, wait, it yeah. is? <laughs> and they were like, well, I guess we can make money off of this. Yeah, exactly. And people were like, well, it looks pretty comfortable. And then they'd buy it and they'd be like, well, this is terrible. It's terrible, terrible for my back. Can't get out of it. <laughs> it's not really very comfortable, to be honest. It's a good chair to have in the basement when you have... If you have a lot of people coming over mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. because it's just like easy, easy sitting, easy right. sitting, and you can just throw it away in the corner if you're mm-hmm. not using it. You just throw it away in the garbage can. <laughs> I can do that too, I guess. <laughs> all right, everyone, let's listen to a song. Oh, I forgot to say what I was going to say. Hmm. That if you come here to listen to music, you're going to love this song. Because there's right. no other reason to be here than to listen to music that is this good. Yes. That you probably have maybe not heard before, except mm-hmm. that Mary played it in a show yes. before. Other so than you that, definitely you, have heard it before. You probably have not heard music like this before. I'm just, just using some as an example, Mary. Right. But I'm just saying mm-hmm. that that's what you're here for. You're saying. And you're going to love this song. You're saying that this song is top tier. This song is top tier. And this, we're not going to hear better than it on this mix. I wouldn't. You're saying that we're peaking at song two. That's <laughs> right. I'm saying this. It's all downhill from I don't think that's the case. <laughs> but I'm just saying this is a great song. Right. So let's give a listen to I'm Over. And the, you can you'll be like, oh, this is why Dave put the song number two, right? Because this is song this song kicks it into next gear, right? So here we go, everyone. This is Judy. I don't think I, I I've oversold this song at all. Hmm. No one will be disappointed by this song now. I think. Well, no one. I mean, they've already heard it. Yeah. So <laughs> let's listen. Okay. I can always forget that people have heard this song eh, already. That's all right. Mary stole my thunder. Mm, I'm good at that. <laughs> okay. Let's give it a listen.
That was uh, I'm Over by Judy Sill, who I like very much. We love her. We've talked about her a fair amount. We have talked about and her And we've amount. talked about this song as well before, where I did. We have. We have. We have talked about her. And the f- the one thing I, I always want to say about Judy Sill is that Judy Sill did not like Judy Sill very much. Which is very sad because very I like sad. Judy Sill a lot. I like her a lot too, but I feel like she just was not her best friend. She had a, a very hard life. And a lot of her hard life was her own choice, I guess. She made a lot of bad decisions. I don't know if that's quite fair. I don't know. I, 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 think, I don't she... think no one was holding a gun to her head to do the things that she did. Well, no, but I think that she she was orphaned quite young. She wasn't orphaned. Her father died. And then her mother died when she was a teenager. Okay. And she lived with her stepfather. Yeah, that's true. He wasn't who a very nice she did person. Not, no, she, she did not get along with very well. Yeah. Um, And she left home quite early because of that. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's hard for young people when they are put into really difficult situations like that and feel forced to sort of leave where they're comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, what what skills do you have mm-hmm. as a teenager, right? Especially as like a teenage girl at that time, didn't yeah. finish high school. Early 60s. Early 60s, didn't finish high school. Like, it's just, it's not, it's not, a, you're not going out into a good world. No, you're right. You're right. She, um... She uh, got involved with bad people, which she was kind of attracted to bad people. And I don't know if that was a way to reject her parents. Hmm. It's kind of a screw you. This is who this is who I I deserve. And look what she made me do. Yeah. Kind of behavior sometimes. But she uh, made, made friends with a guy who or started going with a guy who was um, a thief. And they robbed gas stations and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and liquor stores and things like that. And they got caught and she got sent to reform reformatory, as it was called, for a while. And then she got out of there and then she was um, 
She became addicted to heroin. Mm -hmm. She became a hooker. Mm -hmm. Then she got caught passing uh, bad checks. Mm. And so then she went to jail for, I think, nine months. She was sentenced for nine months. She may not have served the whole sentence. Right. She might have only been for three months when she went. But she was there for a time. She, that's where she learned to play organ. She uh, volunteered to be the I thought church. she learned to play in reformatory school. I'm not sure. I think she said that she learned to, to play in, in when she was in prison because that's where she decided she was going to become a songwriter. So she may have done some, some playing in reformatory and then also in prison as well. And she decided she was going to become a songwriter you could be right, Mary, because I think she actually was going out with a guy who was a pianist uh, in between that time. It's her, the, the, um, sorry, the timeline's a little, little vague for me. But yeah, so, so yeah, then she decided she's going to become a songwriter. And she, the very first song she ever wrote, which was called Dead Time Bummer Blues, was actually uh, recorded by a band called The Leaves, uh, um, a uh, LA band, kind of a garage rock band. Oh, The Left. The, the Leaves became The Left? Yeah. I thought, do you think it would be like the leaves, like leaves in a tree? Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a verb. Yeah, the left. Okay. Now I'm turning it into a past tense verb, nice. much like um, spiritualized. Yeah. Yes. So then, so yeah, so the leaves connection, that's kind of worked for her because the bass player in the leaves was a guy named Jim Pons, who then became the bass player in the Turtles when the original bass player left the band. And so then at the very final single the Turtles recorded was the Judy Sill song, Lady O, which is on her first album. A fantastic song. Yes, a fantastic song. And so the Turtles recorded that as their final single because they were kind of getting screwed over by the record company and they were going to break up. And they said to the record company, let's not end on a bad note. Let's go on on a great, let's just go on a, on a you know, a, a nice single. We'll put, put together a nice song. And then, and so they did Lady O. That was their last single for, as a band. And so... And then Jim Pons also produced most of her first album, her debut album. <clears throat> so after she had burned a bunch of bridges, including getting uh, insulting David Geffen and getting getting uh, fired from Asylum Records, partly because of her low sales, partly because she was she got in a fight with David Geffen. Uh, in 1974, she decided she started Can getting ready. Can I just ready. say? Yeah. Screw David Geffen. Yeah, I don't like David Geffen. You know what I would say? What's that? Bring me the head of David Geffen. I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. I would say it again. I would say, bring me the head of David Geffen. Bring me the <laughs> head of David Geffen. You say it like Geffen. a lot. <laughs> Over the course of a single song. <laughs> you got to make your point. Yep. That's true. So yeah. So she started preparing a third album in 1974. And I don't... She didn't have like a label in mind. Maybe she was thinking that she could somehow convince Geffen to re- you know, re- release it for her. I don't know. But she and some buddies went to uh, Mike Nesmith's studio and they recorded a bunch of tracks together. Now, unfortunately, none of the songs were finished because Judy Soule was a drug addict and also had health issues probably related to that as well. And so it was never finished. But but then um, good old Jim O'Rourke, let's give a shout out to Jim O'Rourke, who Yay, Jim O'Rourke. we've talked about him a couple of times because he's he was a producer for Stereo Lab and mm-hmm. and Wilco. Mm-hmm. My favorite Wilco album, A Ghost Is Born, was, was produced by Jim O'Rourke, and he's kind of like a singer, multi instrumentalist, producer, jack of all trades kind of a guy. You know, a member of Tortoise was played with Sonic Youth. He's done a lot of stuff, and so he was the person who mixed this album, and so he he had to like take all these tracks and then sync them all up together. And, you know, and everything. And he said, sinking Judy Sill's voice was like one of the greatest moments of his life. 
And so, yeah, like I say, she had a bunch of friends that she recorded with. So there's this guy whose name was Tommy Peltier. That's why I say his name because I'm, I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. It might be Peltier. I don't know. But I'm going to say Peltier. So he had a house in Echo Park in L.A. Now, he was a jazz cornetist. And he uh, played, I think he came, out, came from Louisiana, from New Orleans, moved to L.A. And he put together a group there called the Jazz Corps. And then, but he had an accident. And no matter where I looked about him, I could not find... Even in the, well, I'll talk about it in a second, but even in the liner notes for a CD, I could not find out what the accident was, but I could only imagine he had like some sort of accident where his mouth got injured. So I don't know if he got a scar on his lip or something like that, because he couldn't play the cornet anymore. And so he obviously had something that affected his embouchure so that he couldn't make like a good contact with the mouthpiece for playing the trumpet. Hmm. And so he had to give up playing the trumpet and he decided he was going to become a singer-songwriter. And so he made friends with Judy Sill around this time. And so she taught him how to play guitar. And and so he started at his house in Echo Park. He started this thing called uh, Saturday Sessions, where he would invite friends over. like So whoever was available on a Saturday night, they'd come over to his place and they would, you know, all play songs for each other. Do kind of, you know, like everyone would play a song and do kind of an open mic night kind of thing in his living room. But he recorded all these sessions. And so uh, just before this, just before this Judy Sill collection came out, just before uh, Dreams Come True came out, he released his own his own uh, album called Chariot of Astral Light. And it's like a series of tracks that he recorded for the Saturday sessions. And a couple of them feature Judy Sill playing with him. So I thought I'd play a couple of those for everyone. So if you're a Judy Sill fan, you might just sort of find this ephemera interesting. And I'm going to play two songs by, by, by Tommy Peltier. One is called, one is called uh, Pocket Socket, and the other one's called Here Today. So Pocket Socket features uh, Judy Sill just on backing vocals. It has uh, jazz keyboardist Lynn Blessing playing a really cool Farfisa organ part. It seems like the house had uh, kind of limited instrumentation in it, but he did have a Farfisa organ. So that's featured on this track. And then it's got Judy Sill and a couple other ladies doing backing backing vocals for Tommy Pelt- Peltier. And then the second song is called Here Today, and it's not the version by Illinois Speed Press, Mary. It is, it is, uh, it's a different song. This, is, this was Tommy Peltier's first song and his very first recording. And even though he was said he's very embarrassed by his, his vocals on this song, it features Judy Sill doing backing vocals again and playing, lead, playing acoustic guitar. And so we'll listen to both songs. So first Pocket Socket, followed by Here Today. So here we go, everyone, from uh, Chariot of Astral Light, which came out in 2005. This is Tommy Peltier with, with Judy Sill. Thank you. 
on tomorrow Got no time to make sorrow Here today, gone tomorrow Got no time to make sorrow All right, and we're back. Mary, mm-hmm. thoughts about Tommy Peltier? His voice is weird. <laughs> he did have he did have a very high voice, very high pitched voice, and I don't I don't imagine that he got much interest in his songs. But as you know, I'm someone who really likes outsider art, music. True. I like I like outsider art. I like music that's made by people who who are just doing it for doing it for the, the who walls. are passionate about music. Yeah, and I really like music. Passionate and... about the thing that they're passionate about and want to. Just want to put it out there for people, and I, I just love that. So, you know, I don't mean I don't love it all. I love the idea of it, and I love when it's good, good. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think this is good. I'm not saying it's the best. I don't think he's better than Judy Sill, but I just think right. it's interesting because definitely not. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting. I'm saying it's a high bar. It is a high bar. You're right. I mean, she was very talented and a great yeah. arranger and everything else. But I do think that it's interesting, and I and I think it's kind of fun. And it is a it is a pretty good CD. There's some good so other good songs in there. And there's one my favorite song I couldn't play because Judy Sill is not on it. Mm. So it'd just be weird to play a song by him without playing uh, Judy. That's fair with him. All right, so we'll move on. We'll move onwards. Okay, onwards and upwards. What's our next song, Dad? Our next song is uh, Mary. Bad news for you. We're going to the '80s. Oh. We're going to the '80s. We're going to 1987. This is a band, a Boston band called Big Dipper. Okay. Uh, from their album Heavens, this song is called "All Going Out Together." Sorry, Big Dipper band called band or uh, uh, band is called Big Dipper. Band's called Big Dipper. Album is called Heavens. Yeah, or sensing a theme to dip or to be a dipper is sort of a verb. So we'll make Dipped. it. We'll make it Big Dapper, which is of course the past tense of dipper. So here we go, everyone. Big Dapper with "All Going Out Together" from 1987. I was making a point. What was the point? Big Dipper and Heaven. Oh, so you're thinking the sky at night? Yeah. You see the Big Dipper? Mm-hmm. You know what, Mary, when I think of Big Dipper? I think of the Big Dipper ice cream shop where I grew up in North Delta. I've never been there. Is it closed? Um, you know what? When I was there last time, it was still there. It was still open. Oh. This is a while ago, I admit. Okay. Probably, yeah, it's been a while since I was there. Mm. I think I was I think I was, uh, ramping up for my 20th anniversary when I was there last time. Your 20th anniversary what? Did I say anniversary? Reunion. I should say 20th reunion. Oh. For school. Oh, yeah. So it's a while, while ago. ago, yeah, because I just was, mm. my 35th was... Right. In September. Hmm. <sighs> anyway. Oh, I want to say one more thing about uh, Judy Sill. Mm-hmm. Because the engineer on those sessions that she did at Mike Nesmith's studio... Yes. ...was one of our favorite musicians. Can you guess who he, who he was, Mary? No. Nope. Can you guess? Nope. If I give you a hint, could you guess? Sure. Musician. Uh-huh. Performed by himself. Played okay. all his own instruments. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Emmett Rhodes. Emmett Rhodes. You're right. Good one, Mary. Know, one of our favorites, but... What do you mean? We love him here. At I haven't played that many of his songs. Stu Stu Studio. Played like one. No, we played more than one. Played like two. Played three. I mean, more, more, okay. more to come. Okay. Played so. Pardon Me. Mm. Pardon Me. We played Fresh as a Daisy. Yes, okay. Remember that one. And then we played one other one. I think... Well, uh, well we played at least one. <laughs> no, we played more than one. <laughs> and then we played um, not that song, but the other song. I can't remember it's oh, called. Oh, yeah, now. that one. Do you know the one? Yep. Yep. I See, you agree one. with me now. Yep. Three songs. Well, at least one. I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's listen to Big Dipper. Okay. 
right, and we're back. Mary, what do you say they're called? Uh, big dipped. Big dipped. But dipper is not a verb. Dipper is not a verb. No. But to dip is a verb. Yes. To be a dipper, I guess, is a description. It's, yeah, it's a state of being, yeah, not an right. action. I guess you're right. Although hmm. I guess technically a state of being can be an action. Mm-hmm. It's an am. I am as a state of being. Yeah. Verbs are weird. Pictures or language is strange. Language is strange. It's like when right. you say like, oh, a verb is an action word. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, but it's not. Because is, is, is am, is being, is that an action? Yes, it is. It is an action. It's an act. Yeah, I know. But it's like, it's not an action in the way that you think of an no, action. No, you're you know? right. You're right. I mean, it's, I mean, we simplify the rules, right? Yeah. Because if we didn't, it would just blow our minds. Yeah. And blow our tiny minds as kids. Because basically, here's the rule of learning any any language. Any language. I don't care if it's English or any other language. Because mm-hmm. every language has its own quirks. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they put accents on every letter mm-hmm. to indicate where the stress falls on it or mm-hmm. to show how it's pronounced or mm-hmm. whatever they do. Every language is quirky. And here's the secret of language mm-hmm. is you have to memorize the rule, the language. You can't memorize the rules. Mm-hmm. You have to memorize the language. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And if you can't do it, then don't worry about it. Right. Just speak it. Just speak the language you were born with, because you don't even need to know anything. You just need to speak it. And that's you're doing true. it. You're doing it. I know. It's funny trying to explain the lang- like language to kids. Yeah. Like kids who struggle with reading, and you're trying to like explain reading to them, and mm-hmm. you're like, it's just like talking, but you're seeing it. <laughs> and they don't understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, I have no idea what this word is. And it's like, yeah, but I know you know this word. Yeah. And they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well... You- you said this word before then you say it and they're like that's what that word is and they're like what <laughs> it's like the words on the page are words that exist in your brain too like they're not yeah. new yeah 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 so weird yeah like but i mean yeah i mean it's difficult right like you as a child were a reading genius i don't know about that you were okay you were at a very young age you were reading very complicated things like before you were in grade two mary you were reading harry potter books that's by true. yourself that's true that's that's a high level of reading right for that that younger person yes like you were just like because we did reading we did a we did a graduated reading system together mm-hmm. and no matter what crazy rule of english got thrown at you in those in those reading books you just went okay i got it carry on let's keep going right like you just you had a real a Easy real understanding of, of english yeah. yeah but i mean like I don't know. But I think... other, but you probably maybe don't feel that way about math, for instance. No. So sometimes things can be opaque to us. Yeah. That are not opaque to others, mm-hmm. and things that are easy to us are opaque to others. You oh, know? totally. No, I know. It's just interesting to me that there are people out there who have that disconnect between speaking and reading, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like looking at words on a page and not making the connection to that it is the words in your brain. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But I was like that with with numbers for a long time. Yeah. You know, I just math was a maybe you have discalcula. I have discalcula. Is that a real thing? Yeah. How about co- count chocula? No, but Lucy Nisley has discalcula. Okay, I don't think I'm that bad because I got better at it. I just right. think I think I need. But she talks about it in Stepping Stones. Okay, we're not talking well, about right. it, that's but right. in Stepping Stones, Jen. One of the one of the little parts of the story that she couldn't do the the cash for the till. Yeah, easily. yeah, yeah. No, that was me too. Like when I I remember as a kid, not as a kid, as a teenager. Going to apply when they opened a big arena here in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and I went to apply to work in the concessions. Right. And part of the application was to do a mathematics test. Right. Which I I didn't get the job, and so I probably I didn't do very well on the mathematics mm. test because I was not very good at math at that time. Right. It wasn't until later when I was working at another job where I had to do a lot of calculations of times to f- to figure out um, charges for hotel guests. Right. For for their their parking and stuff like that. 
that's where I started to really start understanding how math worked. Mm -hmm. And I think it just was a matter of my brain had to mature enough to yeah to make to make it less opaque. Yeah, like I didn't really understand a lot of math stuff until I took a university course, mm. which was math for elementary school teachers. Yeah, and that prof just explained it. Like, explain this math that I'd never been able to do in this way that made sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, whoa, this is doable, you know? <laughs> but I mean, I think that for me, there was also a thing that was like, if you're good at reading, you're not good at math. Oh, so you're kind of falling into that cliche? Yeah, I think that was part of it. Like, I think yeah. I didn't try very hard in math because I was like, well, I'm good at reading. I don't need to be good at math, <laughs> you know? You don't need to be good at two things. Yeah. Let's not over overdo it. No, it was like, you know, you're either good at math stuff or you're good at reading stuff. And I'm yeah. good at reading stuff. I'm not good at math stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not necessarily true, right? Because mm -hmm. I could probably could have been good at math stuff. I mean, I got all A's in math in grade nine. I think it, well, I think where you, I think it really depends on the teacher as well. Yeah. That's how much fair. they can bring out of you, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a particularly bad teacher of math at your school. Yes. Eve and I both had her. And she was terrible for both of you. Yep. Whereas you also, like, Eve, Eve for sure had, like, a teacher who, like, really believed in her believed in her and yep. and and you've had a like a really great time with math mm -hmm. that year and then she goes to this teacher who blows all the smoke at you as a parent yeah and then it's just like a complete inept joke yeah. as, a, as a teacher i know i remember her well i remember when eve had her she would just show youtube videos of how to do math all day Blech. which she eve must have been there probably three years after i was or maybe four years because i think i had her for grade Oh, I had her for grade 10 and 11, I think, because I definitely had her when I was in Quebec. Yeah. But then in grade 11, it was different because my friend Megan was in the class and Megan was always really good at math. Okay. Like in grade nine, Megan got 103% math for the year <laughs> because she got- How you get an extra 3%? Because she got all, all the bonus questions right. Oh, okay. Um, wow. So, I can never do the bonus questions. No, me neither. At least through me. Through me no, for a loop. No, same. But Megan could. Yeah. She's really good at math and really good at science. Yeah. She- Not good at reading though. She's, no. Well, why bother? I'm good at math. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like, she was one of those people who was good at math, but not good at reading. Yeah. Whereas me and our other friend were good at reading, but weren't very good at math. Yeah. Um, although our other friend went on to do grade 12 math, mm. too, wow. so, um, which I didn't do. It seemed too hard. You stepped off that bus. Yes. Before it hit you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah, but yeah, so because I had this friend in my class who's really good at math and my teacher liked her, she was nicer to me that year. Okay, okay. Because she wouldn't get mad at Megan. Huh. She got mad at me for stuff. But I remember going up to her and asking her for help on stuff, and she'd just make fun of you. Really? Yeah. Terrible. She was a terrible teacher. She was really bad. I did not like her. I was very sad when Eve got her as a teacher. Maybe I should have protested, but I felt like once you're locked in with a teacher teacher at that school. Yeah. And I mean, especially with me and Eve, with our school schedule, it was way harder to change stuff because we were in French immersion. Mm. So we had these locked blocks. Mm -hmm. And so it's like if the other math period that fit into your schedule was during one of those French blocks, then you're not going to get in right for sure yeah because like i remember yeah in grade 11 i was in french immersion and then i was also in um humanities which was the combined english and french or english and um, social studies that was like harder than the regular stuff yeah and a lot of people who were in french immersion were also in that because high achievers right mm. if you're high achieving in french immersion you're also probably going to be going into this harder humanities thing so our entire humanities class was pretty much all french immersion kids and all my other classes were pretty much all French immersion kids <laughs> because we had these like five locked in blocks of our eight blocks. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, yeah, you got three other blocks and the chances are pretty high that you're getting someone from one of your French immersion classes. Yeah, yeah. That's too bad because then you don't really get to meet other people in the school. You're just stuck with the same group of donuts. No, it was fine because they were mostly high achievers. Mm. In grade 12 English class, I had 
no French immersion kids in my class, and it was terrible. Oh, really? Yeah, it was awful. Huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I think at the end of the year, too, I was put in between two, like, big-time stoners. I think my teacher was hoping that some of my good grades would, like, rub <laughs> off on them or something. So I remember the teacher coming over and talking to the one boy. And, like, in BC, English is the only mandatory academic course in grade 12, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to take science or math or history or gym or anything. You just yeah. need to take English. Yeah. And, like, you just need to have another cr- credits and other stuff. But that can be in, like, woodworking or shop or gym or stuff that you can do. Art, art class. Or art class or... Band or... Band, yearbook. Like, there's lots of stuff you can go into. Yeah. Um, you just have to do English. It's the only thing you need to graduate. And the teacher came over and was talking to him. And he was sitting next to me. She was like, it's better with his name. Ugh. Oh, she said, Colton. You have Colton. 17% in the class. And he just laughed. Did he laugh like a sonar? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember we were watching, cause we, we were reading Taming of the Shrew Okay. in that class. And then we, we watched uh, 10 Things I Hate About You because it's based off of Taming of the Shrew. That's sad. There's a version of T- Taming of the Shrew, like the actual one with Richard yeah. Burton and Elizabeth Taylor doing like the actual Shakespearean play. Mm-hmm. But instead you watched... 10 things I hate about you. But anyway. But yeah, and this guy, we had, I remember we watched it, or we watched, because I think we had to split it over the, two blocks. Does Heath Ledger in it? Uh, I think so. And is um that other guy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is he in it? He... No? No. Are you thinking of Clueless? Oh, because I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, oh no, no Paul, Paul Rudd is in Clueless. Yeah. He might be. Then that girl, that blonde girl who's in Dexter. Oh, uh, Kirsten Dunst? Nope. Julia. Oh, that's right. Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles. I'm pretty sure she's in it. It's a fine. It's pretty fun. Okay. It's never, like a fun teen movie. Never seen it, but okay. No, it's pretty fun. I think I saw the beginning of it, and they're like they're introducing all these different like groups in school. There's like a group of cowboys and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, that can't possibly be real. It's like um, 21 Jump Street. <laughs> so they do 21. Yeah, Jump Street. they're like these are the weebs, and it's been people dressed up in like anime stuff. <laughs> Like, okay, sure, I guess so. Pretty sure. You could get more and more loud. These are the chaplains, when people dress like Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> Just outlandish yeah. school. Uh... I'm like, I don't think weebs in high school are like that this intricate is the, about this it. Is the, these are the science nerds, and they're all dressed like Albert Einstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll have hair standing straight up yep. in the air. And all. Yeah, big mustaches. <laughs> but they're like glued on. Those kids don't have mustaches. Um, oh, yeah, but then this kid thought that 10 Things I Hate About You was the funniest movie he'd ever seen. He's laughing so hard. It was right after lunch. So. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, judge, no judge of comedy that state. That no. State at all. No. 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 Explains like why people like Seth Rogen. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. man, Pineapple Express is so fun. Actually, I do, I do like, like Pineapple I think Pineapple Express is pretty good, except for the ending. It's just a bit mess. Is it a car chase? Uh, it ends with a big, like, giant gunfight. Oh, okay. An interminably long gunfight right. in, a, in a barn. It's like, oh, man. I guess I had to fill in the last 20 minutes of the movie, but I couldn't think of anything. So I decided <laughs> to have, like, this really long, drawn out gun battle. Okay. That's how I feel about um, Monkey Business. What? The barn isn't that bad. It's not- I rewatched it. You know, it's not that bad. It's just tonally strange. It's a little tonally strange. I think you're right there. I think there's ways to improve it. If you want to know how, you should listen to our episode of Monkey Business. I was on it. Oh, you're on it. That's right. With with Mary and I and Ian, we talk about it. It's my favorite Marx Brothers movie. It is. Of course I'm on that episode. Uh, You know what? I like it a lot. I'm I'm up in the air between it and Animal Crackers as my favorite. I thought 
Duck Soup was your favorite. No, I kind of went off the duck. I think I kind of said Duck Soup for a long time just because other people said Duck Soup. Oh. So it was just like something I just went, yeah, Duck Soup. Right. My favorite. Sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. But rewatching them all. Yeah. I have to say that Monkey Business, I think, is great. Monkey Business is fantastic. But the ending slightly diminishes it. Yeah, but I mean... Compared to Animal Crackers, which is really good all the way. And, right. And, and it even has like an ending that makes sense yeah. in terms of... And I mean, I think it's, it is hard to end like a comedy movie like that, you know? Especially when you end up with like a Zeppo plot and you're like, well, I guess we got to wrap up this romance story, <laughs> you know? It's like, you don't have to. It's a Marx Brothers movie. You can yeah. just do goofy stuff till the end. Yeah, yeah. But you don't have to like go to a party and then end up in a barn at the end, right? You could just stay on the boat and then get off the boat and then the movie's over. That would have been good. Yeah. But, you know, anyway. Yeah, that would have been better. Mm-hmm. But it's still a fantastic movie. And, I mean, it is a if, if they'd stayed on the boat, we wouldn't get um, the good party scenes. Yeah, those are good parts, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a whatever. Yeah. It, it's good. It's good because it's it's like the first movie, Marx Brother movie. Right. Like, it feels like a movie. Like, yeah. Animal Crackers and still feels kind of like a stage play. It's very, it's mm-hmm. very kind of set-bound and feels very stagey. Mm-hmm. Whereas Monkey Business has, like, Marx Brothers gags but also kind of has like animation or movie gags that can only happen in a movie yeah through editing or through Mm -hmm. yeah and like it does feel like it's a better use of space Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. that's good we agree oh what a good movie let's go watch (laughs) watch monkey business sure just after we listen to felt oh right felt and their song the 17th century from an album i like very much and i know people don't like felt very much I know they're a difficult band. I know that Lawrence's voice isn't for everyone. Mm. His adenoidal British post-punk singing style isn't everyone's cup of tea. But you know who loves felt, Mary? Who? Stuart Murdoch from Bell and Sebastian. Oh, that's good. It's one of his favorite bands. So Stuart and I agree with that. And that means that we could be best friends if we met each other. But let's listen to felt, the 17th century, from the album Let the snakes crinkle their heads to death. That came out in 1986, oh, the year I was working in the parking lots at Expo 86. Oh, yeah. Here we go, everyone.
All right, and we're back. That was Felt, the instrumental song on this. Uh, you know, I always try. I don't. I didn't make it like a. I didn't make a fetish of it when I was doing these mixtapes. Mm-hmm. But whenever I can, I do like to put an instrumental right song on a on a mixtape. This is also two albums, two mixtapes in a row that we've had an instrumental on. What was the other one? Go Team. Oh, that's right. My World. Our World. My World. I think it was My World. Okay. Which was a cover of a song. Yeah. But but yeah, that that's right. So whenever I could, I would like I like to put them on, and I really do like I really do love this song. I love the center part of the song, the center section of the song, when it goes into the reverse, like it starts to go backwards, right? And then and so it's playing the theme backwards, and then it starts to fade into the band coming back into the song again. I think it's really great, uh, and I just love I don't know. There's something about this album. I just like I like it's kind of all right. So before this album, Mary. Yes. Before this album, yep. Felt had a big hit, not a big hit, but a big indie hit. So sometime in the in the in the 80s, in the early 80s, independent record stores and independent labels convinced the music magazines, music papers to start an indie label, like an indie um, chart, an independent labels chart. So it kind of separated then stuff that was in the pop popular charts say your Madonnas and your whoever else Mm -hmm. would be princes and whatnot would be in the pop music charts. Right. And then you'd have your indie charts and that would have like bands that were on independent labels or on on DIY labels and stuff like that. So you'd have your like Rough Trade Records. Right. The Smiths. Smiths would be there. Like Rough Trade Records would be an example of that. You'd have your Cherry Red Records, you know, your your Monochrome set, for instance. So all, you know, all these kind of record labels are people who did their own DIY stuff Mm -hmm. would be in there. So you get your postcard records, et cetera. What about The Cure? Who were they with? Would they be mainstream or indie? I uh, probably in the early days they would have been considered on the indie. They would have been on the indie charts, right? You know, and I think it was partly it was partly ind- like really independent labels, and then partly based in the the band the style sound. of music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so yeah, so they they did an album called Ignite the Seven Cannons, and they were lucky enough to get popular. Uh, this popular guy named Robin Guthrie, who was a member of the Cocteau Twins, who were kind of all the rage at the time, to produce his produce a record. And they even had fellow Cocteau twin Liz Fraser helping on backing vocals on a single called Primitive Painters, which was number one in the indie charts. So the album was in the top 10 and they had a number one single. And, you know, so this album was like a big deal. And so this was their final album with Cherry Red Records, to speak of them. Uh, And they moved to a new independent label called Creation Records. So Creation Records was started by this, by a guy named Ellen something or other. Yeah. Should, I should, you know, I really should do more research, shouldn't I? But anyway. Alan Jansen. Not Alan Jansen. No, he was like a Scottish guy. So it's Alan oh. like something or other. And basically he kind of came out of like the Jesus and Mary Chain stuff. And, and then they signed uh, Primal Scream. Speaking of, speaking of Primal Scream. Speaking was, of Alan Jansen. <laughs> Jansen. Alan J- Janoff. Oh, Janoff. Yeah. Oh, okay. And. I was, I was close. The first syllable. But yeah, so Bobby Gillespie, who came, was the drummer in the Jesus and Mary Chain, started a new band. And so they were kind of this creation uh, band. And so, and of course, they're looking for new acts. And here's this band that is really big with Felt. So they kind of poached them away from Cherry Red, Cherry Red Records and brought them to creation. And so the first album this new band does for this label is an all-instrumental 19-minute album. That's how long this album is, everyone. It's got 10, 10 or 11 songs on it. It's just all the songs are about two minutes long. And they don't need to be any longer, I don't think, because they're all instrumental tracks and they all have this kind of very much kind of uh, 60s vibe to them, kind of cocktail 
a party kind of music. A lot of them right. have that kind of feeling of music being played like in a '60s movie that you hear like in a party scene. This would be the song to be playing in the background while the while the uh, you know the the guests at the party are trying to find the diamond or whatever. And then um, yeah, I'm sure that creation was like what the what the heck why why are you doing this song and then the the cover of the album was like a picture of the uh like a a close-up of the oh it's just a mess anyway it's weird 19 minute long album by the way when the album was reissued in 2018 Mm -hmm. lawrence uh changed the name of the album to the 17th century which is the same name as the song which he said should have been the name of the album but listen when you name an album let the snakes crinkle their heads to death mm-hmm. why would you change that title which is one of the greatest titles for an album of all time that's fair in my opinion yeah but anyway it's good stuff what did you think of it mary i thought it was too short okay <laughs> um which the whole album's too short to be fair 19 no, minutes it's perfect that is crazy it's one of the i don't own many felt albums because they're hard to find mm, also but that was one i bought in england when we were there good. in 2012 mm, yes because okay. i was like i gotta own this one right i gotta I bought, I bought that one, and then I bought the album that came after it, Forever Breathes, The Lonely Word. Oh, okay. Which is their best album. Right. But this is their a great album as well. Gotcha. I disagreed. You don't like it? No. I didn't think it was a super special song. Oh, I like it so much. I love that backwards part in it. Okay. Yeah, no, it just it couldn't keep my attention, mm. which I think, I think I have a problem with songs that don't have lyrics. Really? Yeah. I like instrumentals. I mean, I don't like all instrumentals, but I do like them as an, in, a, in a mix. I like them to kind of break up the whatever break it up right right also yes. i thought that the song was as boring as the actual 17th century <laughs> was the 17th century that boring yes that's the 1600s yep 1692 columbus sailed the ocean blue the age no, of discovery that was 1592 oh you're right yep what else happened in the 17th century nothing how about a war was there a big famous war 30 years war that's pretty long it's not yeah, 100 it's not years a, war no 100 years war particularly interesting war no it wasn't an interesting war who was it between so. Germany and France? France and someone. I think it's France, all France and Germany. And someone. Yeah. Um, 17th century was the Sun King in in France and the rise of uh, France, French authoritarian aristocracy. Oh, so Cardinal Richelieu and people like that? That's kind of interesting. 17th it is. century. Uh, Versailles. Uh, the Four Musketeers or Three Musketeers, the Alexander Dumas okay. book is based in the 17th century. Right. So at least you can... Say, you can point at that thing and say, hey, that's based then. That's based then. At least yeah. it had like an interesting enough element to it that it created right. a story. Yeah. People having to like sneak around behind the Cardinal's back and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. try and have their way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, the Dutch Golden Age. What's the Dutch Golden Age? The Dutch East, in- East India Company. Hmm. Became the world's first mega corporation. Okay. And it was good for them. It was their peak. They peaked. Peaked in the 17th century. They did. Then the British uh, took all their holdings. They did. Because it was British. Yeah. They got New York. They got India. Australia. New Zealand. Because New Zealand Zealand was was once a uh, Dutch colony. South Africa. South Africa, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Parts of India. Mm Mm-hmm. I said India. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Yes. The the Dutch were ahead of their their time in terms of, uh, you know... The Dutch were, yes. Mercantilism. They they were. They were very good sailors. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe they were the first people around... Africa, mm. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Or was that the Portuguese? I think, I'm pretty sure it was Dutch. Portuguese would have been near, near to it as well, but... Portuguese, I'm trying to remember if it was the Portuguese and their development of the Caravelle, the small, fast sailing ship hmm. that allowed them to get around. Yeah, they still own the Azores, which arguably should belong to someone in Africa, but... Probably. There's, yeah, it's interesting when you look at all those little islands 
And a lot of them are still held by colonial powers. Yeah. Which is pretty funny when you're like, why? Why are you guys still there? Hey, why do you still have Gibral- Gibraltar? Yeah, right? Why is that still British? Yeah. Because it's the key to the Mediterranean, Mary. Yeah, it's still necessary. In, in terms of fleets. Yeah. If we still, still still need that just in case Turkey invades again. Yeah. Still need that in case uh in case this is a Moorish uprising. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, um I did a video visit at work on Malta, which has a really interesting Mediterranean. It's like was a very important figure in Mediterranean naval history, right? Cuz it's very small, but it's right there. Mhm. And it has been held by different powers since like something like 900 bc or something it's just been like all those people all these different groups of people who were like we're here now people in malta are like all right (laughs) (laughs) and they like didn't get independence until 1960s malta yeah but you know what one of them they're still not independent they're still beholden to the catholic church right yeah but they have their yeah sure but you know who isn't (laughs) all right um me (laughs) uh but one thing that's funny is one of our residents was an army surgeon mm-hmm. or an army doctor, and he um, he was stationed in Malta. Okay. Like, after World War II. Sure. I thought that was pretty interesting. Did you ask him where the Maltese Falcon is? I did not. Did you know that they still speak Maltese in Malta, though? Mm-hmm. Despite all their different colonial governances. Favorite food of Malta? Fish. Maltesers. Walked right into that one. <laughs> right into but it. I think they also probably like fish. <laughs> Maybe, probably they're an island. Yeah, I don't think the they dinner. have a lot of. Um, I don't think there's a lot of farming land there. You know, yeah. it's like um. Why not? Did another one on Iceland. It's another place that really likes fish. Yeah, but there's very little farming. That's land what I'm there. saying. There's very little farming land. I think in Malta. Malta. I think Malta could have farming land. I don't think they have much. Oh. I think it's pretty rocky. Oh okay. Yeah, Iceland right. is very glaciery. Well, let's leave the 17th century behind, Mary. Okay. Let's move. Goodbye, Dutch Golden Age. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, 30 Years War. You old war, you. Yeah. No, I feel like every all the interesting historical stuff I can think of is either pre or post then. Yeah. You know? It was the age of... It was the age of retrenchment? Was it? I don't know. I think it was... I think it I mean, was... Louis Fourteenth was kind of a big deal in his day. Louis Fourteenth was a big deal. I think it was kind of a a good time for like maths and sciences i think people were starting to sort of come out of come more to the dark ages people that were making there a was, lot of there were no dark ages, no i know, I know. Out of the middle ages coming yeah. out of the middle ages and sort of making more a diff there's a, a different kind of thinking sort of to become more, yeah people were making more yeah. advancements in like maths and sciences and well the because of the moorish invasion and stuff like that there a lot of the greek texts were available mm-hmm. and so people started to discover you know like Greek mathematicians and philosophers and people like that, and so that started to have a big effect for sure. Mm-hmm. And and but I think you could probably say that more about the Renaissance than you could about the 17th century. Yeah, I think no, it was that's... a continuation of that, built on that. Yeah, for sure, but but yeah, let's face it, Mary, it was a real it was a slog. It's a bit of a slog, yeah. Just like that song, burn. <laughs> Just kidding. It was a very short song. Wasn't Elizabeth uh, the 16th, 17th century Queen Elizabeth the first? I don't know, but she was not a very spectacular queen. No. Except for the fact that she was a queen. And she single-handedly defeated the Spanish Navy. Seems fake, but okay. Mare? Yep. She's in an Iron Man suit. She was in an Iron Man suit? Yeah. How is she going to defeat a whole Navy? She's one woman. I think it was just a storm at sea, but anyway. Okay. I'll take the credit, she said. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what they all say. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's go to our next song, everyone. This is uh, enough... 
enough 17th century politics. Yeah. Am I right? I can I just say, I'm not a big fan of what that Louis doing. <laughs> no. I mean, he was bad for the for France. Oh, he was. He was terrible for France. I mean, everyone hated centralizing him. the aristocracy in Versailles. And... Yeah, moving everything out of Paris. People didn't like that. No, right. spending. No, he like... was no good. I mean, although he did, re- he did like reorganize Paris and created like the the, the road system and stuff. The new oh, yeah. road system. That was it probably wasn't him though. It was probably some other guy who worked under him. No, it was probably that. like an engineer. I don't yeah. think Louis was doing that. <laughs> Drawing pictures. I don't out. think he cared that much. I think we'll have a Place de Gaulle right? or or a Place des Trois, as it was called that yeah. time. Uh, place of the Star, where they had the the radiating roads from the center of mm, Paris and yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. A place that I particularly would never like to drive in. Paris? Uh, that part of Paris. Oh, yeah. That Place, Place de Gaulle, as it's called around, now. Is that one around Arc, Arc de Triomphe? Yeah, it's got like yeah. a seven lanes, it feels like. Yeah. And then they're all like, everyone's like branching off or in. And it feels mm-hmm. like they're just driving like across in front of a bunch of people that drive yeah. out of it. You know, what's going on you're down there? It, you're like, um. Mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. I was... Only Tom Cruise could drive in this traffic. That's my feeling. <laughs> All right. So let's listen to Wilson Pickett from 1968. This is I'm in Love, which appeared on his album, also called I'm in Love. Let's give it a listen, everybody. song it was pretty nice pretty nice yep so are you giving it a smile mm, yeah okay or a flat like a meh face more of a meh 
More of a meh. Yeah. You thought the song was a meh. More of a meh. Ah, I just I really like Wilson Pickett's singing style. Yeah. I like his like really like gutsy voice. Right. I liked his voice. Mm-hmm. I just felt like the song itself was not. Didn't have much going for it for you. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I listened. He has listen- more famous songs, but yeah, they're famous songs. So That's why? That's the thing. Why would you include them? Yeah. Yeah. This song is kind of a little bit under the radar, so I wanted. And I do like black singers. Yes, I know. I love soul and R and B and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to include that on it as well. And yeah, I just I like the I do I like the song quite a bit. But mm-hmm. you're a big fan of Kanye West. I am. Who's run for president? I am not a big fan of Kanye West, but I heard a couple of songs by him one time mm-hmm. on a best of this year, like best of 2013 or something right. like that. And I was like, this is what all the fuss is about? Because I worked with someone who thought he was like the cat's pajamas right. at work. He thought he was the greatest. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. And then and I, I thought, think a lot of that is kind of a cult of personality. Yeah. Do you think that's running out for him or do you think he's yes. still... Oh, okay. He's trying to become president. Well, I think he's trying to be a distraction. Well, yeah. A pro-Trump distraction. Yes. But yeah, I don't like it either. You're making a disapproving face. I am. Yeah. Not a, <laughs> not, not a fan of distractions. No. No. So, Mayor... Yes. Wilson Pickett. Yep. Soul singer. Mm-hmm. 1960s. Mm-hmm. Guess where he started? Singing. Uh, in gospel. He started in gospel. That's Whoa, correct. Whoa, what are the chances? <laughs> the chances are pretty good. It's like when we were doing our R&B mix yeah. and every single, or our soul mix and every yeah. single song was like, and this this group started out as a gospel group. And you're like, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, it was a real training ground for singers yeah. of that time period. I mean, I think, especially in the South, especially in the 60s, mm-hmm. that... 50s, church, 50s, 50s, yeah. 50s, sorry, 50s, 60s, yeah. church was just a very important part of that community. For sure it was. Yeah. Right? And music yeah. in that um, church, me, me, uh, it was a very musical church. A particular kind of music was very popular in those yeah. churches for sure. And that music was gospel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was songs that really spoke to a struggling people. Yeah. And I mean, the residents of my work all also love um, gospel music. They also love hymns. Yeah. Right? That's what they all rec- request. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. They want to hear the soulsters. They want to hear the those guys. I only know the soulsters. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. There are other groups I, I just can't think of off the top of my yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, hmm? you gonna say something? You're going to say other groups that sing, like, gospel music? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, like... I just know the soulsters because Sam Cooks sang for the soulsters. Oh, okay. So they're particularly, like, Hyatt, you know, well-known. Right. There are obviously other groups. Yes. Famous other groups. But... Yeah. But I don't think we'd get them. No, no, no. But yeah, so he started in 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 soul, or sorry, in gospel. He was in a group called the Violin Heirs. The Violin Heirs. He started started with them in 1955. The Violin Heirs. Yeah, violin, like mm-hmm. the word violin, uh-huh. and then A I R E S added to the A I the Violin Heirs and the Belvedere's. And the Belvedere's, did you say? Yeah, yeah. And the Jane Heirs. Yeah, was the, that was the joke. <laughs> well, the Violet Airs and the Belvedere's, okay. Yeah, like Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's. Gotcha, nice. Uh, and then he left, he was staying with them for four years, and then like Sam Cooke, left gospel to try his hand at secular music. And he was pretty successful right off the get-go because he joined a group called the Falcons in 1959. And other members of the Falcons were, one was Eddie Floyd. Mary, song by Eddie Floyd? Big Bird. You are correct. And Sir Mac Rice. Do you know a song by Sir Mac Rice? Sir... Mac? Yeah. Or Sir Mac? No, yeah. Sir is in, he's been knighted. Yes. Sir uh-huh. Mac Rice. Nope. Mustang Sally is the song. By oh, okay. That's what he'd be very well known for. But, but they all started together in the Falcons before they all it split up in the early 60s. Uh, at which time in the early 60s, he recorded a demo that he wrote called If You Need Me. 
And he sent it to Jerry Wexler at Atlantic Records, hoping that it would interest Jerry Wexler to sign him mm-hmm. to Atlantic Records because that was sort of the jewel in the crown of R&B labels of that time period. And Wexler liked the song. And so he passed that song on to their kind of singing sensation, Solomon Burke. And so Solomon Burke covered the song, which was a real kick in the gut for for for, for Wilson Pickett. Right. Because he really wanted to sing for Atlantic and he thought yeah. the song was like a, a real entree. Yes. And I mean, it seems like they agreed that it was a good song. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if you have aspirations to be a singer, you don't want to be a songwriter. You yeah, know? exactly. Because a big part of singing is being visible. Being visible. And, and being I think that a was songwriter is yeah. not yeah. very visible. Exactly. He did do the song himself, but it was nowhere near the hit that Solomon Burke had with it. He had a big hit with the song. But but at, um, he did do another song for a different label called Double L Records. He did a song for them, which Wexler heard, and and he had a pretty good hit with it. And Wexler heard it and thought, okay, this guy is for us. And so he bought out his contract to Double L and brought him to Atlantic. And he did a little bit with Atlantic, but he wasn't really catching on. And so Wexler had the idea of sending... Uh, he kind of recognized that... Pickett's style was very Southern, very gut bucket, soul singing style. And so he sent him down to Stax Records in Memphis and Pickett like had a bunch of hits writing with Steve Cropper and Eddie Floyd, his former friend in the Falcons was, was signed to Stax and they made up a songwriting team and they wrote quite a number of hits there. And then Stax owner, Jim Stewart decided in 1965 that no, uh, that Stax was not going to allow any outside artists to use their their facilities. I guess he just got kind of tired of having uh, artists, you know, from their labels being farmed down to them and them having to, you know, use up their writing, you know, writing staffs and production facilities and their backing musicians and stuff like that on artists who weren't putting money in into Stax, you know, with successes, right? So then Pickett went to um, he went to studio. Uh, called Fame, which is in Florence, Alabama. That's where the F in, fl- in, in uh, Fame comes from, Florence. And so uh, he went there, and most of the hits he had at Fame were covers of previous songs, that previous hits. So he he had a hit with uh, the song Land of a Thousand Dances that, that originally been a hit for Cannibal and the Headhunters. And then he did Funky Broadway, which we know, Funky Broadway, of course. Yep. And then he also did a cover of his friend, former Falcon, Sir Mac Rice's Mustang Sally. So he had a bunch of hit songs with these covers. And then at the end of 1967, Pickett moved to American Recording Studios, which was back in Memphis, mm-hmm. where he worked with producer Tom Tom Dowd, who's a very well, well-known producer of that time period. And so here he began recording songs by Bobby Womack. And we know Bobby Womack. We know right? Bobby Womack. We do know Bobby Mo- Womack. And I'm in Love was written by Bobby Womack. And okay. the, on the album itself, he contributed or co-wrote, co-wrote um, four songs for it. And he also played guitar on most of the album because he was a very well-known guitar player. And yeah, and so you, I, so that's why I'm kind of surprised because you like Bobby, Bobby Womack. Yeah. You like uh, Looking for a Love. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Even though the lyrics are... Terrible. <laughs> when you learn the lyrics, you're like... You're kind of like, whoa. That's weird. That's weird. But... Um, You're like, I guess it was a different time? Yeah, I guess it was a different time that people had to like make your breakfast for you yeah. for not much credit. And like, Yeah, and like do all your chores and also service you in other ways. <laughs> and that was just the expectation. Sure. Ooh. He's not saying he's going to get it. He's just looking for it. Right. He's just hoping. Sure. Also sexist. Um, yeah. But, you know, a different time. Mm-hmm. 
It's not that different. Yeah. 70s. Yeah. Come on. Women, were burn- women weren't burning their bras for nothing. Yeah, it's true. Women were able to vote by that point, you know? But were they still people? Or people yet? Um, I think it depends on who you ask. <laughs> okay. And Mayor... So- Sojourner Truth said, ain't I a woman? Who said that? Sojourner Truth. Who's that? Uh, she was a, a black women's activist. Oh, okay. Um, who had a very famous monologue called, or known as, Ain't I a Woman? Oh, okay. About sort of the racism found in the women's suffrage movement. Okay. Or like in women's... Oh. Uh, um, this yeah. this was like way back in like the, I'm going to say 19th century? Oh, really? No, no, no. no sorry. Tw- no. Like 20th century or 19th century? I'll say 19th. I think it was like... Pre- was like, pre-20th century. I'm pretty sure. I, I could wow. be wrong. Wow. I... Well, while you look it up, Mary... Mm-hmm. We're going to play a song. Last time it was a little bit more organic how we came to it, but I'm just going to play it anyway. This uh, Because you said you'd never heard Bobby Womack's Fly Me to the Moon, which yeah. is a Frank Sinatra song, and I know you said you don't like Frank Sinatra. Right. But I think you're going to enjoy this Bobby Womack song. And so we're going to play it, because I love the guitar part at the beginning of this song. I just think it's a great song. So let's give a listen to Bobby Womack, just for the heck of it, everyone. This is just for fun. This is not on the mix, but what the heck. This is uh, Fly Me to the Moon. Let's give it a listen.
All right, so that was Bobby Womack with Fly Me to the Moon. Mary, did you did you want to fly to the moon with Bobby Womack? Um, I'm not a big fan of Fly Me to the Moon. Oh. But this version was better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it didn't have like Frank Sinatra's kind of lazy singing style, which mm-hmm. everyone loves so much. It's conversational singing style. Mm. I'm not a Frank Sinatra fan. Frank. You're not a Bobby Soxer, so you're telling me. Not a Frank Sinatra fan. Not a Bobby Soxer. Well, but you did like Bobby Womack's version of the song. I just think the guitar part better. at the beginning was just so so such a neat, yeah. neat little little bit. There. That's fair. That's fair. And their song's pretty exciting too. Yeah. I also um, looked up Sojourner Truth. Yes. So you found out. Born yeah. 1797. Holy cow. Died 1883. So she was born into slavery. Yeah. And um and yeah, born into slavery and renamed herself later she escaped to freedom with her infant daughter in 1826 wow and went to court to recover her son in 1828 becoming the first black woman to win such a case against a white man so she was yeah she was an american abolitionist and women's rights activist abolitionist you say it's hard to imagine (laughs) yeah right yeah so she was born into slavery in new york yeah um but escaped and yeah her best known speech ain't i a woman was delivered um, sort of off the cuff yeah. in 1851 at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in uh, a- a- Akron, Ohio. Wow. So before the Civil War. Yeah. Amazing. So the speech became widely known during the Civil War by the title Ain't I a Woman? Yeah. Um, so the, I mean, the speech was, there are like multiple versions of it based on different people's accounts. Yeah. And um, she spoke Dutch because New, New York. Okay. Right? Was Dutch at the time. Or like had a lot of Dutch yeah. people and she was owned by a Dutch family. Okay. Um, but changed her name after she gained her freedom to mm. Sojourner Truth. Um, and so the version has what, been tr- translated name. to English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely memorable. <laughs> it's memorable. A little, yeah. A little goofy, but that's all right. Yeah. That's all um, right. Uh, it's... Either she had a sense of humor or she was one of those so intensely... Uh, so intensely i think it was more that one i think it was a calling from god yeah yeah Yeah. interesting um but yeah so the other thing is it was originally written in or it was originally spoken in dutch but has been retranslated into sort of a what we think of as like a southern black way of speaking oh really yeah so like ain't i a woman yeah right uses that sort of like african-american vernacular english i guess so i don't really like which, that idea that it's no it's it's sort of an interesting like that you're taking somebody these... who probably spoke in a very formal way yeah albeit in a different language yes but wasn't speaking in like an uneducated way because no exactly was... and that's the, those are just assumptions that are being made yeah, based yeah. on her she's not the of... made from tom and jerry everyone this is like a, a woman who is spoke a different language and may have we don't know for sure but may have been yeah. at least somewhat well educated at least learned a particular language yeah, right that... and like it's yeah it's just it's it's so interesting how people make those sort of assumptions, mm-hmm. right? You see like, oh, like black woman activist, yeah. or like anti or abolitionist activist yeah. must be from the South, must speak in that Southern dialect. Yeah, yeah. But no, she didn't. She spoke Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. But, well, yeah. I guess if that's how you're more comfortable thinking about something like that, but it feels kind of limiting. Yeah. Oh, oh totally. Yeah, definitely limiting. Um, but yeah, she's really fascinating and anti a woman is definitely worth reading. Right. It's really interesting. We I have never, yeah, I'll give it a little No, we, we learned about her in my one of my um, history courses. So I took a pre-Civil War American history course. It was like American history to 1776, hmm. I guess. Hmm. No, right. not 1776. No. 
Because that would be before, uh, how about 1876? 1865, maybe? So just, 1861? Well, before the Civil War? So the Civil War hadn't happened and the class ended. Yeah. That's strange. Maybe. No, what that can't be right. Class. What it's this will get exciting, everyone. Let's stop. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. No, it, it doesn't matter. I'm, I just know, I remember the prof I had it with, and I was like, oh, I definitely took a course to 1776, but this speech was delivered in 1851, so that doesn't make sense. And yeah, I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> what course was that in? But anyway, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. No, okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to our next song, dear. Okay. This is, the next song is, uh, we're going to get Power Poppy. Yes. So I'm a Power Pop fan. True, we know. And I like I like my power pop just because you know I've said before when I grew up there wasn't a lot of variety of music out there for people to listen to like like on the radio where I grew up there was no there was no black music for instance no one listened to black music when I was a kid besides disco right but probably even disco people like tended to go towards the more white bread stuff like yes. Casey and the Sunshine Band or Van McCoy and the Hustle or mm -hmm. whatever and so. Donna Summer has ever listened to, but you know, they, it's a little bit different sounding to me that like disco is kind of a very kind of, uh, it's not, I don't want to say colorless, but it was sort of a color blind music in a way. Like it seemed to be a mix of a different styles that had like no real strong, like foot in a, like a black idiom. And so I never grew up with that kind of music. I didn't, you know, we got kind of like straight ahead rock and roll and pop music and stuff like that. And there's stuff my parents listened to on the radio, which I didn't like very much. And so power pop was like a real breath of fresh air when i was growing up and so i've always, I always have a strong affection for it and i do think a lot of it's great some of it's garbage obviously but some of it i think is great and one band that this band was surprisingly successful this is the romantics they uh came out of detroit michigan they were formed in 1977 and this is tell it to carry and now i just want to point out that this is the single version of the song this is released on bomp records which was greg shaw's record label he kind of put this record label together. He was a big music fan. He did a, a kind of a fanzine called Bomp. It became a magazine. And then he had a distribution company called Bomp. And then he started Bomp Records. And he would put out like singles by bands that kind of fit into the Bomp, um, into the Bomp kind of aesthetic. Right. And How many more times are you going to say Bomp? This is a great word. Yeah, that's fair. And so, so in 1978, he put out this single by the Romantics, Tell It to Carry backed with first in line and the reason i bring that up is because there's an on the first the first romantics album has a version of this song and it's nowhere near as good as as the romantics version mm. or i'm sorry as the bomp re records version right. by the romantics so i just they just re-recorded they re-recorded it and they took out a lot of the more quirky parts of the song that make it fun mm -hmm. and so let's give a listen this is from 1978 it's tell it to carry by the romantics let's go I tell her all my 
Do you have some thoughts on the romantics? Do you have um, any romantic thoughts, Mary? Mm, well, I thought the song was pretty fun. Oh, good. Good. I'm yep. glad. I'm glad you thought so. I really like it. I like the the kind of like the, oh, that little bit of backing vocal in the song when they're so, singing, you know, carry, oh. So, it's, it's just kind of fun. Like yeah. it's, They're like fun little bits to the song that right. like, you know, has a beatle sound to it, which of course is very attractive to me as a Beatle fan. But even as a kid who is like the Beatles, you know, a band like this, I'd be like, oh, these guys are working in a very similar style as this right. band that I like a lot. So that that is very very exciting for me. And yeah, I was like I said, they they were started as power pop, but I think they more kind of they kind of morphed into a new wave band as as the eighties wore on, and maybe kind of ne- were neutered a little bit. But they had like a big hit with uh, what I think about you, that song, you know, do 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 do. What I think about you, dude. And is that uh, the what I think about you? Yeah. Is that a do do do? Yeah, yeah. Do 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 do. Yeah, you've yeah. heard the song a lot, probably performed by people who come to the come to the old age home. Oh yeah, to play totally. For yeah, the, they the uh, love playing eighties eighties hits. <laughs> this is the it's a seventies hit. It's a seventies hit. Yeah, maybe okay. maybe eighty, but but yeah, like um. Yeah, because you know what people really like yeah. is hits from when they were forty. <laughs> That's what people really like. People really love hits from when their <laughs> oldest kid was 20 for these residents because they all had kids at like 20. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course they do. Of course they do. Yeah, no, it's a good, 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 great, great band. They had, they had a, you know, a number of hits in the 80s and that stuff's not as interesting, but when they were power popping at Mare. Yep. Mwah. Mwah. Great stuff. Well, I'm glad yeah, you agree. I'm a, ooh. You're right. You're like, I'm not a, I'm not a new wave fan. Not a new wave fan. No, but I am a power pop fan. See, so. here's the thing, sweetie. Yes. You had to be there. Mm, you had I to be there. So. I don't mean that in a nostalgic way. I just mean in a way like where... It was of the moment. It was a lifeline Yeah. to you as a kid. Like when you were like listening to the radio and all they were playing was like Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. songs from the river. Yeah. Down the river and you're just like, what the hell am I listening to? Is mm-hmm. this book? What is this stuff? 
and or Bob Seger. Like they're playing all the stuff that like didn't speak to me as a kid. Right. And so then this thing comes along and it speaks to you. Yeah. And then you get involved in it. Yeah. Like you're and... like Rock Lobster. This is great. Yeah. These guys are singing about a lobster. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're like Message in a Bottle. Yeah. Message Bottle is a great song. Mm-hmm. You're like. That was probably my first single I bought was oh. was The Police. Don't stand too close to me. Mm, or so close to me. You're like um, that song by Echo and the Bunny Men. No. Echo and the Bunny Men are a bit later for me. Oh, okay. But XTC. Um, oh, XTC. Generals and Majors. I bought that on plans. single. Did you buy Drums and Wires? I bought album? Nope. The first album I bought by XTC was Black Sea because it had Generals and Majors on it. Oh, okay. I did see... I did see a, a video of um, making plans for Nigel. Making plans for Nigel when I was younger. The same night I first saw uh, Monkey Business. Oh wow! I also discovered XTC for the first time. Not the drug, the band, and we know, we know, <laughs> and because I could care less about Dad, the drug, but the band. Dad, woo. you don't even drink alcohol. That's true. Blech. Dad, you, Dad, you don't even drink coffee. No. <laughs> do you drink coffee? No. Do you drink alcohol? No. Nerd. But you do ecstasy. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine then. <laughs> Please call it MDMA, soy. Oh, sorry, yeah, right. Give it the proper term. Molly? People still call it Molly? Wait, is Molly ecstasy? Yeah, it basically is. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so that that's why that, that music, you know, like it was such a, uh, and it led to so much other music too, right? Like, I mean, in a way it was narrowing because that became like the focus of my of my teenage years was just on music that was brand new. Right. But eventually you, you branch out from there and you yeah. go into the past to kind of discover what people are, you know, what the bands you liked were, they're listening to mm-hmm. bands from the 60s because they're older than you, right? Right. So yeah, that was yeah. good. All right. Well, how about the next song? How about it? How about it? I don't know. I'm asking you. Oh, Sorry. That's okay. All right. Well, the next song, Mary, is uh, by Boy. Now, we've played Boy before. We both played... I played Boy. I played Boy, too. You played Boy? I played Black Cat. I played Black Cat. You played Black Cat. I played Black Cat. You did. Yeah, you did. I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. We must like that song. We do. Yeah. Hmm. That song is great. It is a good song. But this is from his first album. Black Cat is from his second album, Every Page You Turn. Yes. The band... From 2007? The band Boy. Not the, the... not, not the, the boy. Not the not project. Not the eponymous boy. Not the eponymous project boy. Right. Which was Stephen Kosminiak. Yes. By basically by himself, mm-hmm. recording in uh, Whitehorse, Yukon, mm-hmm. the Yukon Territories here in Canada. It's very far north. It is very far north. From yes. Us. And so it would take approximately a hundred hours to drive there from Vancouver. Uh, I think about thirty-six. I looked it up when I was oh, yeah. younger. But if that's if you drove a straight thirty-six hours yeah. without without. Without break. stopping. Without stopping, which is pretty hard to do. Yes. So it would take you longer because in that 36 hours, you need to stop and rest, like have a mm-hmm. night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe twice in that Probably trip. more than once. Yeah. 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 yeah it'd be a long trip up there. Yeah. Because yeah. like, even if you drove, even if you drove for 12 hours. Yeah. Like if you left here, drove for 12 hours. Pretty hard. Slept. Yeah. Drove for 12 more hours. Ugh. You have to sleep again. Yeah. And then you have to drive for I don't. I think I'd want to take a week to get there. Yeah, I think I I'd think, fly there. I think I'd want to do like eight. No, I'd like to drive there. Yeah. But I just would want to drive like eight hours a day to 10 Well, hours I mean, Duncan and I drove to the Grand Canyon. Yes, you did. Which. And when you got there, it was closed. You had to drive all the way home again. <laughs> yeah. You should have you checked. You should have checked when it was open or just like <laughs> hung out another day, I guess. <laughs> it's closed for the weekend. Closed on Sundays, the sign said. It said back in one hour, gone fishing. <laughs> What are you looking at? 
Um, so to drive to the Grand Canyon, yeah, I was like, oh, like we drove to the Grand Canyon. It's probably yeah. further. Yeah, it's not further. No, it's twenty three hours. <laughs> okay, it's as close. It is a whole thirteen more hours. Yeah. to drive to the next, <laughs> the next province over. Well, that's, I, <laughs> the uh, next province up. Yeah, the next. Yeah, uh, than it is to drive across those many American provinces to get so, to the Grand Canyon, states. which we did. States. States. Sorry. Yeah. They call ours states all, all the time. I'm going to call theirs provinces. <laughs> fair um, enough. Fair enough. But when, for tat. When That's Dun- always the best policy. Made. It is. Yeah. When Duncan and I did that, my plan originally was to just like gun it to get there. Yeah. Um, because. Then you realize you're driving in a Yaris. <laughs> what? Boo. No, then I realized that. Um, you didn't realize what? Duncan can't be on time for things. Oh, okay. Like I was like, okay, we'll leave it this time. And he's like, okay. And then he was like three hours late on the first day. That's not a good start, is it? No, it's not a not good start. Not an auspicious beginning. No, no, it definitely was not. <laughs> then you broke a headlight putting, with the bottle of champagne you used to yeah. uh, christen the, christen the like, car. And he was like, oh, let's like stop for lunch in Mount Vernon. And then I was like, oh, like let's stop at REI in Seattle. <laughs> we've, been, we've been here. We've been to Seattle before. Because um, I was like, we've been to see. I've been to Seattle a lot. Did you stop at that pizza parlor in Mount Vernon? No. Oh. I couldn't find it. Maybe it's gone. It might be. I think it might be. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. You went to the downtown area? Mm-hmm. Oh. It might, just, it might have also just been closed for lunch or something on the day we were there, mm. which I think was like a Monday we were leaving. Oh, okay. So it's possible. Never know. Um, but yeah, the way that we did it was, especially driving back, because yeah. like we weren't trying to get anywhere at any specific time. We were just driving and doing what we wanted to do, right? Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, like, let's go to this place. Okay, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. We just had to be back by our... With a couple days to spare before our friend's wedding, because we were making their, our wedding present for them was making their um, dinner. Okay. For their yeah wedding ceremony sure. reception thing. Sure. Um. So we just had to be back a few days before that to like buy food and prep for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and we just like you know got up in the morning, had breakfast, and then drove until we got tired, and then we would like stop and have like a siesta, and then we just keep driving. Um. But yeah, it worked really well. Because we didn't get, like, sick and tired of driving or anything. But, yeah. That was three weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it did take us three weeks to get there. It took us three weeks to do the whole thing. Yeah, you drove quite a ways. We went to 11 national parks. Yeah, that's a lot of driving. It is. Yeah, no, uh, we thought about it. But anyway, let's play the song, and then we'll right. we'll come we'll come back. So this is uh, Boy, from, from the album Boy, from 2002. This is, the song is called Gentleman. Here we go, everyone. Thank you. 
And I just want to point out that this album was recorded in a bedroom in Whitehorse, Yukon territories. Uh, and Stephen Kosmaniak, who at that time mostly made it boy by himself, he had a friend uh, named David Charles Hamlin who played guitar with him. And so he did help out on the recordings, but he left before the album was finished. And and Kosmaniak, like for a song like this where he had strings, he what he did was he sampled strings from a record that he had and then he just used them in the song. To, as a string part, I think it's kind of a cool way to do it. Um, he's one of those annoying people who play their own, all you know, a bunch of instruments, and yeah, so it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, so there you go, Mary. What did What did you think of the song? I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a fun song. Yeah, it's cool. good. I like Boy. Yeah, I do too. I think I think they're fun. And uh, when I was doing the research for this song, out of curiosity, I searched and I was able to find the article. Uh, well, the interview that I did with him that was published on a website that your mom and a friend of hers used to do together called Swank Trends. Mm-hmm. 
and it, I found the interview that I did with with Stephen Kosmenik. So I'm gonna send. I'll post a link for that. So if anyone wants to read some writing I did in 2005 with an interview, it's actually a good interview. It's good. It's a fun read. I thought. So um, if I must toot my own horn, which I must, I guess Mary's not gonna toot it for me. What do you think of that interview, Mary? Pretty good, right? Toot toot. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I'll post that. Uh, if people are curious, they can they can go there and read the interview with with Stephen. He he was on tour at that time and uh, and has he's it was a good interview I thought as well. So there you go. That that's a good song, Mary. Let's go to the next song. All right, sounds good. The song, Mary. Mm-hmm. The band is called Bel Adair. Okay. And the song is. Uh, called Golden Days from the album The Brave and the Blue, which came out in 2013. I think this is, so far, this is our most the most recent song on, on the uh, mixtape so far. Oh, yeah. I don't say it's the most recent song, but it is right. currently the most recent song. Right. Sorry, what year? 2013. Didn't we have a 26? Oh, wait, on this album. On this on this mixtape. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. sorry. And we may have ones that are that are newer newer on the second half. I don't, I don't know for sure. But right now... This is this is holding pole position okay. as as num- a number a most recent song. So let's give a listen to Bel Air, everyone. Oh 
Yes. Did you have thoughts about Belladere? Did I have thoughts about Belladere? I yeah. did. Um, you said... I thought it was fun. Okay. I thought it was pretty catchy. It is pretty a pretty catchy song. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not too sure why, why I put it on. Okay. Strange. I obviously, yeah, I, this, I must have been listening to something and the song came up and I was like, oh, this song would be good. So I put it on and I like the fact that they're called Belladere and because I like it as, I think, I feel like it was an answer to Bon Iver, the band Bon Iver. Okay. Is that? No, I you, don't know. You're just making that up? I'm just making that up. Okay. But one's Bon, one's Bell, right? One's right. a feminine uh, and the other one's the... One's a Iver and one's a Dare. Yeah. Okay. Very, very similar. Interesting. And we were talking about Fame Studios before, mm-hmm. which are based in Florence, Alabama. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what Fame was like an acronym, like Florence, Alabama, music, something or other. Enterprises. Enterprises. That's what it was. You're right. Yep. Are you looking it up? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, dear. So, yeah, I was right, though, right? Florence, yep. Alabama. Music Enterprises. Music Enterprises. Cool. They're, the band was also from Florence, Alabama. They, they didn't record this album at, at, um, at Fame. Yeah, there was a good um, documentary about, about Fame Studios on Netflix for a while. It had like an interview with the original, the guy who originally... Muscle Shoals? The town is Muscle Shoals, that's but right. Was the documentary called Muscle Shoals? No, it was... No, I think it was called Fame Studios. I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, okay. Because it was more about Fame Studios. Because Muscle Shoals was another was another studio in, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Right. Whereas Fame, I think... Well, Fame was named after Florence, but I can't remember the whole details. But anyway. Okay. Oh, all good. Yeah. What I thought was interesting when I was reading about Belladere, and there's not like a ton interesting about them. They're one of those bands that like did an album in 2013, mm-hmm. and then they put out their sec- second album in 2019. 18. 2018. Oh, I'm sorry, 2018. Okay. So you're kind of like, wow, why is there five years between? Yeah. But I just feel like I there's... Think they did a lot of touring, didn't they? They did a lot of touring, but I just feel like there's no money yeah. for them to put it. They have, it takes them a while to get the interest in doing another album. But the first album was written after the main guy, Matt Green... After his apartment was destroyed in a in a fire, hmm. and so I kind of wonder if a song like "Golden Days," where you're talking kind of about the past, if that's sort of like you know you've lost all your goods and all your belongings in a right. fire, if you're kind of like it's kind of like a, a both a send off and a kind of tribute to to the past. Okay, it's sort of interesting in that way, in that light, I think. Yeah, it also looks like they are ba- they have been working as a backing band for a few years. Mm, okay, okay, for an artist. Okay, cool. John John Paul White. Yeah, I don't know I don't who that know. is. But yeah, yeah. Imagine similar sound. Yeah, and probably this that's money. Yep. Make some money. Yep. Keep working. Yep. You gotta. If you wanna be <laughs> if you wanna be a musician, you know? You gotta be if you wanna be a musician, yeah. you gotta be gotta gotta pay the rent. All right. Well that's I don't know how much to say about this band. They're pretty They're new. new. They're yeah. pretty new and they haven't they haven't done anything super tragic or has happened to them or great or anything besides mm-hmm. a permanent fire, I guess that's kinda of tragic. That's kinda of tragic. And I mean it's pretty great that they put out two albums. Yeah. Yeah, I've only I've never put out one, so same. If you put out, if you put out two, yeah, props, props, yeah, brother, absolutely. Good for you. All right, let's head to our penultimate song, dear. Penultimate. Penultimate. So this song, song this last song was our ultra penultimate song. Our ultra penultimate song, and this song is our penultimate song, and it is uh, by Masters of Reality. Okay. The song is called Counting Horses, mm-hmm. and, I, and I was just thinking that I played the song before on Sneaky Dragon for a horse-related top five oh, okay. requested by a certain wife of mine who is well-known <gasps> as Horse Crazy. Yes. Whisper. Horse Crazy. Don't tell her that. Okay. I don't think she it's listens just... to this podcast anymore. No. She says she can't can't get it. 
What do you mean? She can't she can't pick it up or whatever. She can't it won't load or something like that. No, she just feels she doesn't have headphones. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So she feels like she needs headphones to listen to it. Oh, or something. I don't know. Okay. Well, she got some headphones. I guess so. She'll lose them. <laughs> Seems like a waste of money, but okay. Her phone definitely came with headphones. I imagine it's probably still in the box. Yeah. Ooh. You can't have them though. What? You can't have those. Headphones. I wasn't thinking about that. Yes, you were. I was not. You got the. I'm taking those headphones. Look no. in your eyes, Mary. Yes. There are some pretty obvious face faces what? people make. There's like the stink face when you smell something bad. Yeah. There is the thoughtful face uh-huh. when something like a something good happens. You kind of think to yourself, "Oh yeah, that was fun yeah. when that happened." Or hmm. there's the look of I'm going to steal some headphones out of well, a box. Well, that seems like a all too specific face. <laughs> no, no, my face... face was more. I wonder where that box is. <laughs> my face is more... I do like those Apple headphones, though. They fit my ears really good. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I've bought... I've, like, paid money for headphones before, and they never work for me. Yeah, yeah. Apple headphones. They're the only ones that work in my ears. Oh, yeah, specific ears. I do. I think they're too small. Your ears are too small. I think so. My ear... Your ear holes? Yeah. Interesting. But you can't have those headphones. Can't you just go go to, like, buy Apple headphones anywhere? Yeah. Why not? Expensive. Oh, well, it's Apple. That is an excuse stealing from your own mother. I don't know about that. She's my own mother. Of course I can steal from her. So she's here for. Did we play this song yet? Nope. All right, let's play it now. Here we go, everyone. Masters of Reality, County Horses. Enough about. I'm going to play this song while so Mary can go run in the house and steal some headphones out of a box. <laughs> this is from 2001. Well, I don't know where the box is. Yeah, me either. This is from 2001. The album was called Deep in the Hole. This is County Horses with. No, sorry. The song is Counting Horses. This is Masters of Reality performing the song. Here we go.
And we're back. Mary. Yes. What do you think of Masters of Reality and their song, Counting Horses? Wait, what year is the song from? This was from 2001. Oh, okay. Um, I liked it. You liked it? Yep. All right, I'm going to add a smiley face to this. No? I'm keeping track here, Mayor. Oop, I made that into a meh face. Hmm. More of a smile. Now, this, now that smiley face has lipstick. <laughs> okay. Looks <laughs> like a clown now. Yeah, so he gets real thick. Oh, wow, yeah. Not very good at putting lipstick on. No. So this is kind of a project band. Oh. And by project band, I mean that the person who is the band, this guy mm-hmm. named Chris Goss, he is Masters of Reality. Right. So he's played with a few people. He started, like he started how the band. Stephen Noel Cosmaniac is boy. Yes, that's right. The band is based around him. Yes. And if he's not in the band, it's not, it's, a, it's not, not boy. Band. Yeah. yeah. And same with Chris Goss. He just... The band has never been successful enough that he could afford to have like a like whole he band. On. Yeah. yeah. So he just hires people on a per album basis or has friends play on the album. Yeah. And and the way he started, he started like playing in the seventies. Oh wow. Playing music. And basically he started like he started like playing like almost industrial rock in the in the in the in the eighties. Okay. And then he got tired of that. Fair. Yeah. And then he moved into playing like more he got more influenced by the bands that he used to like, like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. And of course, Black Sabbath, their album, Master Master of Reality. So he merely pluralized that album, made it Masters of Reality. That's the album that has Paranoid on it, Mary, by Black Sabbath. You know Paranoid by Black Sabbath. You everyone hope. does. Yeah, everyone does. And you're shaking your head? Don't know it? No, no, I know it. I think Iron Man's also in there. What? Is he live or dead? Doodle, 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 oh, you're saying that's another doodle, song doodle, that doodle. everyone knows? Yeah, from Black Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wasn't saying Paranoid is the only one people know. No, they also did uh, Fairies Wear Boots. You gotta believe me. Don't know that one. Sweet Leaf. Don't know it. What do you mean you don't know it? Those are classic songs, Mary. Mm. That I never played in your presence. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I've never been a big fan of... Hard rock? Industrial rock, hard rock. This is the hard rock. It's like early 70s stuff, the uh, Black Sabbath. They're a British band. Yeah. Um, I was listening a little while ago to their first album. I don't know if I mentioned this in the show before, but I was listening to their first album a little while ago. Not great. Sorry, Black Sabbath? Yeah, their first album, which mm-hmm. I think is just called Black Sabbath. And not great. Not great at all. It had the, I think it had The Wizard on it. That would have been the one notable song. Okay. But it was pretty a pretty dirgy, kind of boring album, I thought. Hmm. I feel like Master of Reality is a much better, better album. And when I have time, I'm going to re-listen to Master of Reality. Right. And I'll give you my reviews of Master, Master of Reality okay. later on. Can I say one more thing about Boy? The band Please Boy. say something more about the band Boy. They're one of those bands who have not, they have not done anything musically since 2004. Yeah. But they're still like together. They're not. Yeah. It's like years active, 2002 to 2000, or 2002 to present. Yeah. And you're like, because well, well, you haven't put out an album in 16 years. Yeah. That counts exactly. Like you put out albums for two years and then didn't put out anything for yeah. 16. I don't think that's active. No, I don't think it counts exactly. And, I mean, what they mean is that Stephen Kosminiak is boy. Yes. And he is still active as a songwriter, although he mostly. He's a producer. He's a producer, songwriter, and he writes in for big artists who have like seven people writing their songs. Yeah. And he's just like one name of seven other people. Yeah. In most cases. Yeah. I don't think he's active. Any- I don't think Boy is active anymore. No. Right? That's fine. But by the way, though, Mary, mm. I decided that you can't say one more thing about Boy. But I wanted to say one more thing about Boy. I know you did, but I'm not going to let you. But I want to say one more thing about Boy now. Oh, okay. What's that? Um, is that on Wikipedia, their website is a MySpace page and the link is broken. I would say that's not, not active. 
that counts as not active as a band. If you're if a MySpace page is your website is your is what if you don't have a Facebook. No. Like Facebook, Mary. Yeah. Like even I have been on Facebook since 2008. Yeah. Like at least they having you their last album Facebook come out in 2004. Yeah. Where do you go? Hmm. I don't know. Seems like a long time. It is a long time. Yeah. I remember. I used to, mom used to pick me up from school and she would drive home and she would tell me about all of her Facebook interactions that day. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, well, this person sent me a gift. And then I poked your dad and then he didn't do anything back. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. It's <laughs> interesting, I guess. <laughs> that whole poking someone thing, I think that was yeah. really weird. Yeah, I agree. Now you can wave at people on Messenger. Yeah. I'm not too sure what the response to that should be. No, no one is. Yeah. I think ignoring it usually... What I'm waiting for is that you raise your drink to them. Oh, yeah. Response. So the people wave at you and then it says you raise your drink back. Right. And then they get to do like a kind of a kind of a sound, like right. a wink and a yeah. sound back at you. And then gotcha. And then you give them the thumbs up. And then that's all. That should be the end of your Facebook. Right. You can't do any more. No. You like try to do something else and it's like, no, you can't do any more. No, no. A thumbs up person. should be like the end of an interaction to me. Oh. Like if someone, like if you're saying to someone... You know, I'm going to go to the store later and get some milk. And the yeah. person gives you a thumbs up. Yeah. Then you don't say anything else after that. Yeah. That's the end of their conversation. Um, yeah. I'm not going to let you talk about that, about boy, boy either. Those are two topics about boy you've tried to bring up, Mary. And neither of them am I going to allow you to talk about. So let's go back to Masters of Reality. Not, not the Black Sabbath album, mm-hmm. which is just Master of Reality, but Masters of Reality, the group, so-called. Um, yeah. So on this, on the album, it has a bunch of people... From like Queens of the Stone Age and Caius and stuff like that, because Chris Goss is because he, you know, was in a band that wasn't doing like a lot of making a lot of money. He became a producer, and he became really associated with what's what's called the desert scene mm-hmm. in the states, and that's bands like the Queens of the Stone Age and stuff like that. Like a lot of people associated associated with the Palm Desert area of California, and so. Uh, he's also produced like Melissa Aufdemer from used to play with Hole and Uncle, the trip hop band Uncle and stuff. So he's kind of done a lot of different stuff as a producer. But this album uh, was recorded at Ranch Rancho de la Luna Studios, which is in Joshua Tree, California, which is a place I'd like to visit. Joshua Tree? Yeah. Uh, as well as an abandoned cabin there in Joshua Tree National Park that Goss named Robbie's 511 Studio. And I have no idea why he named it that. I don't know if 511 is a thing. Is that that a number you can call that gives you information or something? 511? Yeah, I don't know. Is it like 811? Yeah, or 411 or whatever. Like in the old days when you needed like information, you call 411 and you get information. Oh, yeah, right. Well, yeah, 811 now is the nurse's hotline. I see. 911, of course, emergency services. Yeah. And yeah, the old days you could call if you wanted information about something like whatever you call 411 call 711 if you want a slurpee (laughs) nice (laughs) slurpees so good all right but you like that song right mary you like that song did i did i mark it with a smiley face i think you marked with a smiley face i liked it oh that's right it was a really big smile looked like it has lipstick yeah okay mary let's move on to our final song okay and this song is not gonna be by black sabbath by the way it's not i know you thought that i didn't think that I know that you're expecting that as a, like a surprise, surprise thing, because I kept talking about Masters of Reality, mm-hmm. which should be Master of Reality, which is a single singular title on the album. Okay. And you're thinking, Dave, my dad, obviously. I yeah, I definitely don't call you Dave. You don't call me Dave, but my dad's going to choose a song from Masters of Reality, Master mm-hmm. of Reality, the mm-hmm. Black Sabbath album. Yep. But no, I'm not. You know what's funny? What's that? I wasn't thinking that at all. Oh, why is that funny? I guess it's not. 
I guess this whole interaction wasn't, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> burn. I feel burned. So, Mary, instead, yep. Yep. I chose to end this, this uh, side mm-hmm. with a 60s band that I like very much. They're all my friends. I know them all really well. Can I guess? Sure. Is it the Beatles? It's not the Beatles. I don't know the Beatles at all. Is it the Kinks? I do not have any interaction with the Kinks. Is it the Birds? It's not the Birds, but you're getting warmer. If you move up the coast a ways, you'll get closer. Um, Up the coast? Yeah. Which direction? Up. There's only south one up. or north? You can't go up south, Mary. South is down. North is up. That is obvious from a compass. Ridiculous, but okay. Um, Wait, so sorry, you're going south? Uh, you you know, how come you're guessing when you know the answer? You're listening to the CD. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> is it Jefferson Airplane? It is Jefferson Airplane. Oh, right. You're right. They are I, bound forgot about the, I forgot about our eight-hour recording session on Friday <laughs> where we recorded all this stuff already, and I already knew that. <laughs> Someone's bitter. A little bit. Just a little bit. Yes. Jefferson Airplane. From their 1969 album, which is called Volunteers. Mm-hmm. This is not the song Volunteers from that album. This is a song, We Can Be Together which opens the album and is a great song and was a single and had a couple words from the song that were kind of uh, faded down real low in the single. But we're going to play them loud and proud. This is Jefferson Airplane, We Can Be Together. Please enjoy, everyone.
And we're back. Mary? Yes? What did you think of Jefferson Airplane? Um, um, I was kind of... Uh-oh. I liked parts of it and I didn't like parts of it. Uh-oh. I thought it was overall kind of fun. Yeah. But I didn't like the way that they sing we... the We Are All Outlaws in the Eyes of America okay. part. We are forces of anarchy. But otherwise, I, I I liked it. Yeah? Yeah. What we are, we are. Um. Yeah, I love this song. And that's the end of it. It's a great song. And I'm going to make you smile. Smile. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I think what I, I mean, I've talked about Jefferson Airplane before, and I, I'll say the same thing I've, I'll say every time I talk about them, which is I love the three people singing together. Yes. I love Paul Kantner, who wrote this song mm-hmm. and played guitar. I love his voice mixing with Grace Slick and Marty Bellin. I love how their voices came together. Um, and they don't really sing harmony. They kind of sing in unison, but what makes it weird is that they don't quite sing like, they don't sing, they're not synchronized together. Right. They're kind of staggered. Like they don't, it's like they're not listening to each other or something, or they're just excited and they're just kind of singing their own part. And if you want to join in together, you can, or I'll just sing slightly off of what you're singing. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But like I say, they're not really singing that much in, in harmony. They don't really harmonize together. They're just kind of singing their parts. And just kind of singing the song. And I, I just love how, how it works, though. I think it really it sounds really great. We Can Be Together. The like, album was quite controversial. Like, it was recorded in March and June of 1969. Okay. But it was not released by the record label, by RCA Records, until November of that year. And the reason for that was, well, a few reasons. One was mm-hmm. the presence of the word motherfucker in this song. Right. So it's in it a couple of times. And the label was not very happy that they used that word. Also, right. there's another song on the record called Eskimo Blue Day, which is kind of an ecological awareness song. Like, right. We're destroying the environment. Yes. They pointed out in the 60s. They said climate change is real. Climate change is real. We've been saying this since 1958. It's true 10 years later in 1969. Mm-hmm. And but you know what's funny is it's not true today in 2020. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And yet we seem to be living in the effects of climate change. I don't know. What's going on? The fact that there was over 7,000 fires in California. Yeah. 2.3 million acres of land destroyed Mm -hmm. by fire in California this year. Mm -hmm. Luckily, there's no climate change. Yeah. Or it would have been worse. That's pretty lucky. I was reading an article about how a lot of um, islands in the Caribbean Mm -hmm. will be completely underwater because of climate change. Yikes. uh, Yeah, a lot of them are just the tolls and stuff like that. They're not really full on. Yeah. Wow. But it's a good thing climate change is a hoax. Well, thank goodness. Thank goodness. They don't have anything to worry about. Nope. But in that song, mm-hmm. Eskimo Blue Day, they use the word shit because oh. they point out that trees don't give a shit about us. Right. And, Which is true. Well, I don't know if that's actually true. Mm-hmm. I think trees do care about us. They, I think trees care about us in the sense that they wish that we would care about them. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Maybe it should say... We don't give a shit about trees. <laughs> Seems more be, accurate. Way more accurate. Yeah. Uh, not to mention the strong anti-war, anti-establishment stance of this album. Right. Which really got on RCA's nerves as well, because they're a bunch of squares up yes. in the head office. They sent, they uh, they enlisted Elvis in the army. That's right. They've already, they already like, they already uh, emasculated one of the most potent symbols of, of, of rebelliousness yes. in the 50s. Yeah. They're like... Jefferson Airplane ain't got nothing on Elvis. We can quickly True. rid these guys of... They're like, of, if, if we can ruin Elvis's career, we can ruin Jefferson Airplane's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know what? Mm-hmm. Saying uh, mother bleeper. Yeah. And I don't know how to bleep shit. Well, you, you just 
you just didn't bleep it. But bleep. anyway. <laughs> um, We're just using them in context, so I, but I just don't use them overly, use them as my feeling. Yeah. No, no, I, I know. Okay. Um, but George Carlin would say that those are two of the seven words you can't say on television. It's true. I th- and I think one of them still is. Mother bleeper? Yeah. I think you can say... Uh, bleep the, the s word on on uh, but can you say the f word i think it depends what the context is but mm-hmm. yes because i think that i know you can say the b word yep on tv yes. because they say it a lot on supernatural but that was not one of george carlin's seven listed words mm. okay i believe you can't say the c word on tv either <laughs> no no still not no they don't like it anywhere yeah. especially on twitter you Woo. know what's you know what's interesting yep. i was reading um because at my work we have a lot of People who um, came out of a more uh, more modern Mennonite faith, okay, where they're allowed to wear clothes and use phones and stuff, <laughs> yes, um, or wear clothes not made by them, and yeah, yeah, go to school and speak English, etc. The women don't have to wear head coverings. The women don't so. have to wear head coverings, and they're allowed to learn math and stuff. Yeah, um, but you know, it's still Mennonite. They're still very religious. Yeah, and I noticed that some of my coworkers say. Don't say, oh, my God, but say, oh, my Lanta. Oh, my Lanta. Oh, my Lanta. My Lanta. That is a th- something, right? And I was like, what is that? And I looked it up and my Lanta was an antacid, yeah, like yeah. Tums or like um, Pepto-Bismol. Sure. Right? Sure. And I guess there was an ad in like the 80s that said, had a guy saying, my doctor said my Lanta. And, um, and then... On Full House, the yeah. TV show Full House, okay. they were trying to develop the cool uncle, Jesse. I think Joey. Joey? Oh, sorry. Jesse would be the cool uncle, yes. Yeah. Jo- Stam- uh, whatever the Stamos guy. John yeah. Stamos. Yeah, yeah. So I've never seen Full House. But at that time in the 90s. Cultural osmosis. I've never seen it either. But somehow I know that it, that it had Joey, Jesse, and Bob Saget. Right. So I'm pretty sure Jesse was the cool uncle. It seems like a cool uncle name, Jesse. Sure. More than Joey, right? Joey was uh, a stand-up, com- stand-up comedian guy. Oh, okay. Blonde haired guy. Again, I've never seen the show. Um, I've not. I've also not seen Fuller House. Anyway, no. Um, so they were developing Full House yeah. in the nineties. Yeah. And at that time, you could not say "Oh my God" on TV. Yeah. Because you would lose large swaths of your demographic. Yeah. In the middle of the country, right? Sure. And so they needed to have a different way to say it. So. They decided to get Jesse to say, oh, my Lanta instead. Okay. Because he was like the cool uncle. Yeah. Which I was like, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so that's where that came from. Mm. So today, Mennonites and like super Christian people yeah. say, oh, my Lanta instead of, oh, my God, because of full house. Mm. Isn't that weird? It is very weird. Yeah. I was like, I wonder how many people who say that know the origin of it. Mm. Yeah, that's weird. Kind of like them saying chimbley because they didn't want to say a body part. Oh, yeah. In a name. So instead of, yeah. they didn't want to have knee in the word. So they would right. say chimbley. It's also weird. It's very, it's very strange. Yeah. Right. I also find it really interesting that there was a time within my lifetime yeah. that they could not say God on a sitcom. Well, it doesn't seem strange to me because I grew up at that time. No, I know. But it's yeah. It's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't take the, the Lord's name in vain, Mary. Oh, I... Which, of course, that's not what the, the phrase means. No. It's talking about using God as a as a hammer on people, mm. you know, to say, uh, or to lie to people using God's name. You know? Yeah. Like, well, God told me to do this. Right. You know? Or use it. Yeah. Like I say, I use it a hammer. Well, God would want you 
that's using God's name in vain. Yeah. Not using, saying, oh my God, which is invoking God mm -hmm. as someone to help you. Yes. At least to comprehend what the heck's going on. Yeah. I don't know. You can't even say, oh my goodness, or oh my gosh, because those are like... Oh, really? You can't still... say those because they're too close? Yeah, because it it's, has the same meaning. And I'm hmm. like, yeah, but oh my lanta is like the same thing. <laughs> like if you're, if that's what you're going for, like if that's yeah, your yeah. reasoning for not saying that, yeah. that's the same thing. It's just, you're just replacing it with another word, right? I think it's just so, it's so far away from yeah. it that it's, it's not the same. Why don't they say odds bodkins? Yeah, well, because they want him to be cool, Uncle. <laughs> so instead, he invoked the name of an antacid instead. <laughs> Took the name of an antas antacid in vain. Oh my goodness! Oh my go! Oh my lanta! <laughs> um, and you know, what? I do sometimes feel bad about saying okay. "Oh my God" at work. Yeah, I try to not say it around the residents because mm. they're very, uh, they're very godly folk. Yeah, yeah. But I will not say "Oh my lanta." I refuse. <laughs> so. Mayor, the way that they resolve one, the issue of the swearing on the album is they pointed out that RCA had put out the cast album of Hair. Oh, yeah. Which also had the F word. Oh. And so... There was precedent. RCA. Yes, that's right. They had legal precedent. Mm -hmm. Legal record company precedent. And so RCA stepped back and said, fine. But they still, they still faded it very low in the mix on the single. Right. The other problem they had with the album was the song Volunteers was written by... Uh, co-written by Marty Ballin and Paul Kantner. And it came about because Marty Ballin was sleeping at 2400 Fulton Street, the uh, Jefferson Airplane's headquarters. They bought a big mansion and they all lived in it together mm -hmm. on 2400 Fulton Street in the Haight District of San Francisco, mm -hmm. which seems kind of weird now, but that's what they did. They, <laughs> they lived together, which is not going to cause interband friction at all, everyone. It will ease interband friction for everyone to be living in the same house together. Oh, totally. Because no one's going to fight about dishes. Nope. No one's going to fight about who's leaving stuff around in the living nope. room. All fine. So every it's be happiness. Every all time, the time I've ever lived with someone, I have a really good relationship with. Yeah. Uh, we've never ever fought about <laughs> anything. Ever had any arguments about um, organization of duties? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Because no, no. everyone is like a really good adult who's really good at having <laughs> conversations with everyone about stuff like that. You know. Believable. Thank you. Believable, Mayor. I don't think Sarah or Duncan listen to this, so. <laughs> so Sarah, uh, I love you. Duncan, I love you. <laughs> but. But. No, it was me also. Do your, do your Mylanta dishes. No. Yeah. So he woke up one morning and he was, because he was woken up by this garbage truck that was a Volunteers of America garbage truck. And I guess they're going around and picking up. Garbage? No. Uh, donations. Oh. Wouldn't it be a donation truck? I guess so. They call it a garbage truck. It right. seems kind of weird to me, but I guess people, some people's trash is other people's treasure, Mayor. Right. Like when people come around and pick up cans. Well, I don't know if that's the same, but... Um, okay. So then... Seems like the same, but okay. Well, I think it's more like, you know, if I threw away some stuff I don't care about, mm -hmm. some books I don't like, mm -hmm. and someone else came along and went, oh, look, he has Future Shock by Arthur, by Arthur Kessler. Right. I really wanted to read this book. I'm glad he threw it away because he's never read it and just sitting in his shelf. Right. Making you feel bad about not having read that that's book. That's right. I need to get yeah. rid of it. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying, Mary. Take Arthur Kessler's Future Shock and get it out of my, right. my sight. I feel that way about a few, few books that I have. Like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe I haven't finished Dune yet. Really? I haven't finished Dune yet. I thought you were like all over that book. You seemed to be, like I said, I hadn't read it and you're like, you've never read Dune? Well, I was just surprised. Mm. I'm not a science fiction guy. It's patently untrue. By my reading Philip K. Dick. I Philip K. Dick. And? Ursa K. Le Guin is a more recent. And? Who else? John Wyndham. John Wyndham, I don't really think of science fiction. He's science fiction. Day of the Triffids is science fiction. Yeah, I guess so. I guess. But I don't really think of it as science fiction. It's not like spaceships and all that kind of stuff, which I'm not too into. Right. 
it's um yeah but, like a lot of science fiction isn't like spaceships and stuff like the reason philip k dick dune's not really spaceships and stuff it does have spaceships in it though the people fly from planet to planet they fly from a planet to a planet well there you go case case closed everyone right qed uh i have i have it's on my reading list dune yeah i can lend it to you eventually well when you finish it lend it to me i think i when, think when i'm retired when you finish it yeah. when i'm retired i think can... i i think i just started reading it at like the height of covid oh okay and i think it just like was too much for my brain at that time mm. you know mm. but then i was really trying to finish it and then it just like didn't yeah it's funny how some books they don't work yeah they don't work for you yeah so yeah so so, so said I read the oh. very easy read of women talking by Miriam Taves. Oh, I'm sure that was a real easy read. <laughs> Her books are always Which easy. I would recommend. Yeah. But also trigger warning. Okay. So uh, we'll say no more about that book. No. It's, it's not a book cast. So I then guess. that's right. It's not a book cast. Um yeah, so he got woken up by this garbage truck mm-hmm. and he thought, Volunteers of America, that's a great name. And so then he wrote a song called Volunteers of America, but he he wanted to spell it M A M. E-R-I-K-A. Was at that time the lefty way of saying we're down in America. America's like the war and all that stuff. Yeah. But then when Volunteers of America heard about the fact that they were going to call the album Volunteers of America, they said, uh, 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 uh. So they had to change it to just volunteers. And so by this point in Jefferson Airplane's career, as you could probably hear, they were very influenced by like the new sound of the late 60s. So Jimi Hendrix and... The British band Cream playing this very heavy blues rock kind of sound. And that really kind of like infected all the bands of this time period. And everyone stopped, you know, sounding folk rocky and started sounding rock rocky. And so that you can hear that a lot in the, in the group. But I mean, luckily, the band had Jorma Kakaunen, the, the guitar player, who's so great that really like his guitar playing is it kind of like cuts through the kind of baloney of, of rock, I think. Like, I think the song still has a very very light feel to it. And then also Nicky Hopkins, a famous British session musician, played a lot with the Kinks. We played Barkley Muse a while ago, right, Mare? Mm-hmm. Nicky Hopkins featured quite a bit on that song with his piano playing. Right. He played famously played piano on like Sympathy for the Devil, the Rolling Stone song. Like he was a very well known session musician. But I guess he got tired of living in jolly old rainy England and he moved to lost he moved to San Francisco and started playing with bands there. He obviously guested on this album of Jefferson Airplane. He would later join Quicksilver Messenger Service and perform on on one of their albums and then went on to do some solo stuff. And now, the Up Against the Wall mother effers, mm-hmm. now that line came from an actual group that was um, active in New York City of this time period. Now, they had started off as kind of a situationist group. So situation okay. situationism was a kind of a very much art-influenced political movement that used a lot of data, um, abstract or nonsense, sort of, not nonsense, but a lot of like paradoxical or or not out of context things. So they okay. would, their quote, they would like, you know, leave weird quotations right. around and things that were kind of like make you think or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then... Like Banksy. Kind of like Banksy, yeah. Banksy would be kind of a modern situationist, I think. That's very mm-hmm. true. And and so yeah, they had this group. Their group is called uh, Black Mask. And then they, uh, one of the guys in Black Mask, 
wrote a manifesto declaring art should be an integral part of life as it was in primitive society. I don't know if that's true. I don't, I don't think we can know that for sure. But no. we feel it's true, he said, that in primitive society, art was an integral part of life, not an appendage of wealth. Right. Which is what art had become in New York City. Right. I mean, I think that I don't, I would agree that it probably wasn't an appendage of wealth yeah. in primitive societies. Hmm. Because I don't think there was a lot of wealth. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I think it was, there was like, it was all about community, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't about like individual wealth. Yeah, yeah. And so they changed their name. Black Mass changed its name to Up Against the Wall, Mother Effers. Yep. And they kind of went underground. So they no right. longer were like, a, you know, a kind of a acceptable art group. They became this thing that was totally different. They became like a activist, that, okay. a revolutionary group that was attempting to undermine American society okay. through I, through art and through action. I don't feel like the things that they're... I don't feel like the manifesto's point is that, like, revolutionary. Is it? That's where that's where they went with it. Oh, okay. So they became... They became... Because um, they took their name from a poem by a guy named Leroy Jones, who became a Black Panther, mm-hmm. uh, and changed his name to Amiri Baraka. He was... Leroy Jones, he was a pretty big Black Panther, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the main ones. And he wrote a poem called Black People. Mm-hmm. And in that poem, he says, up against the wall, mother effers, is, uh, he says, it's like, that's the, that's the phrase you'll hear when you're arrested. Right. You know, as a black man. Mm-hmm. And so, and so they, they took their name from that. And so they did like a series of like, some of them are like artistic in a way or, you know, but also they just did sort of like weird stuff, like breaking into the Pentagon during a protest there. They snuck into okay. the Pentagon. Strange. Um, they dumped a bunch of garbage in the fountains around Lincoln Center. Just like. During a garbage strike. Just like that. Yeah, I don't like that one either very much. But it was a way of, you know. Making more work for the janitors of Lincoln Center. <laughs> I guess that was. They were like, <laughs> they were like, F you elites. We're going <laughs> to screw you guys over by making you look at this. And then some working class guys are going to have to clean it up. Exactly. We're right. going to give them some more stinky work to do. <laughs> and um, I, I dislike. Any sort of class-based activism yeah. that does not think through who is going to have to <laughs> who are being, deal with who's it. being affected? Yeah, by who's the... who's actually affected by this? Well, it's like all this, uh, all these Antifa riots in in the states right now, where people are burning down black-owned neighborhoods uh, to protest Black Lives Matter. I don't think black people want their neighborhoods being burned to the ground. I think it's people who are making being revolutionary but are being kind of counterproductive to the people they're attempting to protest on behalf of. It's very similar. Like, you know, who's going to have to clean up all this stuff? Well, the na- people in the neighborhoods are going to have to clean up this stuff. Hmm. Police aren't going to be cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. The city's not going to clean it up. Mm-hmm. You know? Other thing they did was they cut the fences around Woodstock, the Woodstock uh, music festival. They cut the fences down so people could break in and, and they kind of forced the organizers to declare it as a free festival. Right. Which was hard on all the people who'd spent... Hard-earned money for three-day tickets, yeah, and did not get a refund. It just yeah. the only reason it was a free festival is because people just broke into it because right. the fences were cut. But don't worry, the the organizers made a lot of money from the movie and the the, the record album and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, they came out of it okay. Oh, of course they did. Very okay. Uh, now Paul Kantner, he this is not the first time he did this, but he quoted extensively from a leaflet written by Mother Effer John Sundstrom that was published as the outlaw page in an in an issue of the East Village Other. And it's basically like a cut and paste, like sort of words cut and pasted onto a black background. And 
and so this you know what you're saying about we are forces of chaos and anarchy what we are we are and uh the other part um we are uh dirty uh, you know dangerous and violent and we're young mm -hmm. that was also quoted from it which was not unusual for paul kander like he also like um on the album crown of creation the song crown of creation contains a quote from the chrysalids by oh we we're just talking about him john Wyndham. oh yeah that so author you don't like i like him a lot what are you talking about he's one of my favorite authors I thought you didn't like science fiction. I do like science fiction. Oh. Hmm. Someone's changed his tune. <laughs> Mary. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I was actually reading an interview with Grace Grace Slick when I was uh, looking stuff up about Jefferson Airplane. And it was really a great read. She's a real storyteller. And one of the stories she told, which just killed me, was she was talking about Jefferson Airplane when the, Ro the Rolling Stones wanted them to be one of the bands at Altamont at the Rolling Stones free festival in San, in, well, it's supposed to be a free festival in San Francisco. And so Mick Jagger invited her and Paul Kantner to come and, you know, discuss about them playing. And so Grace, like, you know, was like super excited about meeting Mick Jagger and was picturing like, you know, that his house was going to be like this so totally wild pad. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she got there and he had, she said, she described like, he had like Louis the 14th furniture. It was like <laughs> going to my parents' house. Yeah. And then, Mick Jagger was wearing like a three-piece suit and he shook her hands and he offered us alcohol, but he didn't even proffer any drugs. She is so upset about it all. Yeah. Right now. It's feeling it's like, like, oh, he's just a businessman. Yeah. Well, like, I think I might have met, I feel like I might have mentioned this on the show before, but there's an episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel yeah. where she um, is invited over to the home of a, a fellow woman comedian of the time. Yeah. And she has this bit where she's like a loud working class lady and she's got all these bits or all these jokes about how she's working class and loud and yeah. won't take any guff from anyone and yeah, she's yeah. a working class lady and that's like her whole thing. Yeah. And um, Mrs. Maisel, or Midge, goes to this woman's house and it's like the super fancy um, like brownstone. Brownstone? Sure, brownstone fine. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and she has like servants and her house is like so tastefully decorated and this woman's like a high class woman who just like puts on this character. Yeah, yeah. And Midge is like so um disillusioned. Just, yeah, disillusioned. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to understand I you know, and that's something, like it's hard I think for comedians to be successful by and not be themselves. Hmm. So it, yeah. is, it is kind of a a, uh, but I think it was a different time for how what static comedy was different in those mm -hmm. days too. Oh, totally. But yeah, so this was the final album with with both Marty Ballin and the drummer Spencer Dryden. Spencer Dryden left the band because he was so he was so distraught over what happened at Altamont mm. that so Altamont just for people who don't know Mary didn't know before we did the last episode of the same episode of the show. Now I know everything about it. Altamont was a free festival. Well, it was a free festival that the Rolling Stones were guilted into doing. So they came to the United States. They were touring on Beggar's Banquet here in 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 uh, North America. They're doing you know arena tour, a small arena tour. In those days, you didn't really do big arena tours, and and they were doing their tour. And uh, in New York City, they got kind of asked and guilted into doing a free festival. Like, like you know, aren't you going to give back to the people and? do something free for them. Now, they, Rolling Stones had done a free festival in London. They'd done a free festival at Hyde Park. Yeah. Uh, where a lot of British bands played. And and <laughs> uh, I was just thinking about Pete, Peter Brown and Pib Lockto where he got uh, 
kicked out of the band just before they played the free festival, the free Hyde Park show that the Rolling Stones put on. Oh, really? But anyway, yeah, yeah. And that was where Brian Jones, had, who had been asked to leave the band, but unfortunately, shortly after, drowned in his own swimming pool. Uh, they Yikes. They released, like, butterfly. They quoted a bit of uh, Shelley, Adonais, or one of, one of his poems, and then they let butterflies go free. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably were destroyed by the crowd, but anyway, they let the butterflies go free. Yeah, and they then they played another song or whatever. But yeah, so they did this free concert at Hyde Park in London, and I guess Americans were like, "How come we can't get in this action?" So, so I guess the Rolling Stones felt like they should do a concert, and so the decision was to do it as the final part of their their tour. So their tour went across North America, and so they ended in San Francisco. So the idea was they would use Golden Gate Park, which had been used many times for free concerts and stuff. In the days of 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 the hate, you know, of the San Francisco, the San Francisco, the famous B N was there, and you know, there's all kinds of like the B N is famous as like this fantastic, like never to be repeated magical thing where like a guy parachuted from the sky and landed perfectly in the midst of all these people and like just mysteriously walked away and no one knew who he was, you know, just all kinds of weird things happen at the human being. Cool. And Jefferson Airplane played at it and Grateful Dead and all these others. 60s band like san francisco 60s bands and it's just like a you know a real highlight of, of the 60s before it all went to garbage and drugs destroyed everything vietnam vietnam so much but more more like more like people going oh san francisco is a place we should go to well we should go there where there's no jobs for right. us and there's no way for us to make we're just going to be like sleeping on the streets and, yeah. and taking drugs and just become like a mess and that's what happened so they're going to try and use the golden gate park but for whatever reason by this point the city of san francisco was sick of hip hippies and so they said no to to rolling stones using this so it was decided they would go to this local speedway called altamont speedway in 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 california and that's where they would hold this free festival and then they were then they were you know they're also like well we need to have security but we're too cool to have the police be security because we don't want the pigs there, man. Pigs are like, they represent the government. And we don't want that. And so they asked Grateful Dead who they should use for security at the show. And the Grateful Dead are like, oh, man, you should use the Hells Angels. They're totally cool. And and, and you should use them. Yeah. So, the, you know, the Rolling Stones are, you know, they didn't know who the Hells Angels were that right. well, right? All they knew about them is that they owned Michael's, the craft store. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Do they really own Michael's? No. Oh, okay. Just like a uh, rumor. Okay. So, so it's owned by like... Some people who live in Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so uh, that's probably worse than the Hells Angels owning it. I don't know about that. <laughs> so then, <laughs> so, then uh, so yeah, so they, they hired the Hells Angels to be their, to be their, you know, security force for this concert. And they paid them in $500 worth of alcohol. And that, which was a brilliant idea, I think. And so what happened was almost immediately it progressed to worse and worse. The Hells Angels were beating up and assaulting people in the audience and the crowd who were at the front of the stage. And unfortunately for those people, as the people behind them were surging, it would push these people the front forward and they would, you know, get beaten up by the, by the Hells Angels for their trouble. Yeah. And this was going on throughout the show. And, you know, and so I think Crosby, Stills and Nash played there and then they, they helicoptered away and the Flying Burrito Brothers were there. And, of course, Jefferson Airplane played it as well. And, you know, and one of the one of the things I love about Marty Bell, and I do, I really like Marty Bell, and I think he's a great guy. I don't know, don't know him at all. And I'm sure there's things that are terrible about him because, you know, he's from the 50s and 60s. But, you know, he did hop off the stage and attempt to accost uh, Hell's Angels members who were beating up on the audience. And he mm-hmm. tried to stop them from doing it and got himself knocked unconscious for his trouble. Well... 
Yes, because the Hells Angels were paid in alcohol. <laughs> yes. Like. <laughs> and we're taking LSD. Yeah. And we're truly zonked out of it. And also are a, a biker gang. Yeah. And specifically like a one percenter biker gang. Mm. Mm. So, I don't know what that means, but. Uh, it means that they are 99% of bikers follow the law. Oh, okay. And they're the one percent that don't. Oh, I see. They're I the see. outlaws. Okay. Okay. And so he he got beat up for his trouble. And I love if you watch the there's a movie with about the Rolling Stones. I think it's called Give Me Shelter. And in the movie, there's a scene where they're watching. It's kind of fun because you get to watch the concert, but then you also get to watch the Rolling Stones watching the concert. So it's kind of interesting. Like they're watching the footage of the concert, and so you see like Paul Kantner, like really lamely, like going, "Man, I want to thank the the Hell's Angels for like knocking our lead singer unconscious." It's like, it's like so lame, like. Like Marty Bellin like hopped down into the crowd and got beaten up for his troubles, yeah. and meanwhile Paul Hanner, safety of the stage, is like passive aggressively criticizing Hell's <laughs> Angels for for doing this. You know, he was like, "Well, we couldn't stop them with fists. Maybe we can stop them with words." <laughs> yeah. Now, unlike a lot of the other groups who like fled after their set, Jefferson Airplane hung around because Grateful Dead were playing as well and right. stuff. So they hung around and and stayed throughout the show, and so they were there for. During the Rolling Stones set, when it got really terrible, mm. and the the Hells Angels were really laying into the crowd, yeah. and this young black guy named Meredith Hunter had the bad idea of pulling on a gun mm-hmm. and threatening the Hells Angels as a way to like stop them from Beating them doing up. what they're doing. But what happened was he got killed instead by yeah. the Hells Angels, and it was a mess. It was during the during the Rolling Stones set, and of course, it was com- so disturbing for them as well like they didn't ask for this like no. they just were trying to do something good that people like guilted them into yeah and you know and they tried to do it but they tried to do it in this kind of lame ass 60s way mm-hmm. instead of instead of hiring people to like professionally put like, on the yeah. show and yeah and like hiring like a professional yeah um like security group yeah that's or right, yeah. paying them in money and not alcohol which is like the well, worst what they thing. asked for and no i, mean, I know but and like that should be your first sign and to be fair to the Rolling stones they did not negotiate the contract with, no i mean that's it was the... rock scully the manager of grateful dead who who right. organized all this stuff and so a lot of it should point to him as well as a person. Right. No, who, no, I'm not. I'm not saying yeah. like I don't think that they. It's just it was. There's just a lot bad of blame overall. that can all go around. Yeah. Yes, yes, a lot of blame to spread around. But like I say, so um, Spencer Dryden was so like so heart stricken by yeah. by this that he just it just the the group lost all fun for him, mm-hmm. and so he just quit later that year. And Marty Bellin soon followed, and his reasons were different. Um, probably because he got a pool cue to the skull. He probably had no memories of Altamont, so it couldn't right. really couldn't really shake him up too badly. But he just said. But I mean, the other thing is being knocked unconscious at a show. Yeah. is also going to be pretty traumatic. Yeah, I would think so. Right, yeah, yeah. like it's no longer like a fun thing to do. It like you're not safe doing that anymore. Right, yeah, like yeah. that's kind of the feeling. Could have been, but he he said the reason he quoted it was quoted at the time as saying I he left because he didn't want to. He was tired of playing that messed up cocaine music. Was mm. basically his. Feeling, and I think that's a good description of the latter days of um, of Jefferson Airplane. Right. And so he and Spencer Dryden stayed for one last single, which was a song called Mexico, mm-hmm. backed with Have You Seen the Saucers. And Mexico is like a great song. Like, it's like a great song. It's like such a pointer to like a great future for the band. Right. And unfortunately, Balin quit and mm-hmm. Dryden left and the, kind, and the band was kind of had like a long like a two-year kind of layoff right where they did a bunch of solo stuff and then they finally came back together for 
either Bark or Long John Silver. I think Bark came first, and then they, they, the last one was Long John Silver. But yeah, there's a lot of like bad stuff from them from that time period, like yeah. a lot of albums. It's just like you're like, where is the tune? Like, mm. what happened to the tunes? You guys just write tunes. Yeah. And you listen to like Phantom I mean, Toad with like, the Nun. Half and... your band and being part of a concert yeah, where yeah. four people died. Yeah. Like. But I'm. You know what, Mary? I really want to play. I really want to play Mexico for you. Okay. Because you haven't heard the song, and it's a really I good haven't. song. And so I'm going to play that for you. Um, so here is Mexico. This is the final single with original, but not super original, of course, because we all know that the original version of of Jefferson Airplane was Skip Spence on drums, not a drummer, but he looked like a drummer, so he played drums in, in Jefferson Airplane. Right. And Senior Anderson was the first singer in the group, who unfortunately was kind of became pregnant mm. and quote-unquote chose to left slashed was pushed out of the group right. in favor of them bringing in grace slick which was not a mistake to bring in grace slick because grace slick is a fantastically talented singer songwriter and and you know she brought white rabbit and somebody to love and that was that made the band but not a, not a good look to push someone out of your band because they're pregnant yeah yeah and um marty bellin was not in favor of that he was a senior supporter he uh, got up on stage and gave her flowers on her final night with the band when they had like a final concert with her and celebrated her time in the band. But yeah, uh, let's play Mexico, everyone. This is uh, Mexico. It's a really good song. Here we go. Twins of the trade come to the poet's room Talking about the problems of a leaf And yes, it'll be back soon There used to be tongues of gold and green Coming up here from Mexico Mexico is under the thumb of a man we call Richard and he's come to call himself king But he's a small-headed man And he doesn't know a thing about how to deal for you How to deal for you There are millions of you now I mean it's not as if you were alone There are brothers So that was uh, Mexico by Jefferson Airplane, a sort of a timely, of it of its time single, and a real single. It's only two minutes and eight seconds long, mm-hmm. so that's really like getting to the point. Yep. And yet it kind of sums up a lot of stuff there. It's talking about the fact that Richard Nixon had closed down the Mexican border, mm-hmm. uh, an attempt to stop stop drugs from being uh, being shipped into California, uh, which is part of the song's griping. They're they're mad about. It talks about Owsley, uh, Jim. Uh, I think his name was no his name. 
can't remember his first name was now. But Owsley was um he was a manufacturer of LSD, very famous at that time for his uh, uh the Steely Dan song Kid Charlemagne is also about about him. Hmm. But uh, yeah, mentions him. It mentions Panthers. How long will the Panther race wait for the iron bars to bend? Uh, mentions them performing at Woodstock. It says there's a half a million people on the lawn. Mm-hmm. We played for them in you know before the dawn, uh, which is because of the crazy scheduling at Woodstock. Jefferson Airplane was supposed to go on around 10 o'clock at night. Instead, they started at like 6 in the morning. Oh my God. And then you hear, Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Um, uh, Grace Slick says, you've heard the others. Now you're going to hear morning maniac music. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, some pretty crazy. Yeah. So, um, but a great song. A great song nonetheless. Well, Mare, there you go. That was, uh, that has been our, that's been our first half of the mixtape. Cool. So I'm not going to ask your opinions. Well, maybe I will ask your opinion. What was your opinion of this mix part, half a mixtape? You're a little, a little. Uh, I didn't like it very much. A little on the fence about it. Not even on the fence. You didn't like it. Uh, no. Huh. Huh. Like I had to listen to it a lot. Yeah. Like more than I've ever had to listen to any other mixtape mm-hmm. just to like formulate an opinion on stuff. Oh really? It was like everything was just like sliding off my brain. Huh. I don't know what it was except yeah. for there's like a couple songs that I like the boy one I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy Sill, yeah. I liked. Yeah. The first one I liked. Okay. And the rest were kind of just there. Mm. Interesting. Even Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One of my favorite bands. I didn't know they were one of your favorite bands. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I have a lot of Jefferson Airplane <laughs> in my collection. <laughs> well, I mean, I have a lot of everything in my collection That's nowadays. But thing. even when I was like a teenager, I had a lot of Jefferson Airplane. My, oh, yeah. One of my first albums I ever bought was The Worst of the Jefferson Airplane, which was their greatest hits of that time. It kind of detailed... Up to... I'm sorry, the worst of the Jefferson Yeah, the worst of the Jefferson Airplane, it's called. But I always liked the earlier stuff better at that time. I, I preferred that to later stuff. It took took me a while to get used to the more cacophonous uh, psychedelic rock of the later period. I right. really like the folk sounds of the Martha and Embryonic Journey and, and um, the more Marty Bellinish stuff today and stuff like that. I really like all those songs. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a real, really a shame that Marty Bellin was kind of forced out of the group in terms of a songwriter because they... They didn't like the ballad kind of songs that he wrote. He was more of a romantic songwriter, you know? So a song like Things Are Better in the East, you know, that remember that song? I don't think so. Things Are Better in the East, they say. Uh, anyway, it's on a mixtape. Uh, it was an unreleased track by by, by Marty Bellin, and it's a fantastic song. It's, like, really evocative. It's really evocative, like, of like it's like a, it almost gives you, like, a sensory feeling in the in its how it tells the story. Mm-hmm. In the way he describes, like, curtains blowing and the wind and stuff like that, it really... It's so, it's such a great uh, sound painting of a, of a moment. And I really, really enjoyed that song. I'm not sure if I put it on another mixtape, so I don't want to, I don't want to play it now in case I did, but I might sneak it in one day. Right. Just for the heck of it. Sure. I, I like it so much. And if I didn't put it on a mixtape, I'm a dum-dum. That's all I'll say. I don't know about that. But it it was on, a, it was on, on a mixtape that was, we listened to in the car a lot when we were growing up. Cool. That also had like fanfare on it. And, and uh, that when I was growing up. Yeah. Right. Oh, not when I was growing up. Yeah, when you were growing up. Yeah. Well, I was growing up too. I was growing up as a father. Right. I guess that's true. I guess everyone <laughs> is always growing up. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 I was a different person before I became a father. That's true. I think everyone, I think most parents can say that. Mm-hmm. For sure. For yeah. sure. I think if they're honest, they would. I don't, I think some people, well, I don't think it changes everyone. No, that's for the bad. I would, I would say. Yeah. I would sure. agree with that. Yeah. I yep. would say that for sure. All right, Mary. All right, dad. Well, as your dad. Can I tell you something? Is it a compliment about me? Nope. Then I don't want to hear it. I think you might want to hear this. No, you tell me. 
Uh, I wanted to let you know where listeners can um, can reach us. Oh, okay. If they want to contact us. I wasn't expecting this. What? I thought it was going to be something different, but okay. Nope. Where can listeners reach us, Mary? Um, They can find us on SneakyDragon.com. Can they reach us by tin can and string? Nope. Can they reach us via telegraph? Nope. Can they reach us by semaphore flag? Nope. How about lanterns? Nope. Can they send us signal nope. lanterns? Nope. Ah, oh, smoke signals with a blanket and nope. a... Nope. Well, how can they reach us, Edmar? Uh, on the website, sneakydragon.com. Okay. I knew the show would end with you so mad at me. You're just saying you're just saying one word answers. That, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, they can reach us by going to the website, which is sneakydragon.com, and commenting on the message boards there. I do love when people do that. And can I just say, yes. we had a very good comment Okay. from my acolyte, Chris Roberts. <laughs> yes, your disciple, Chris Roberts. Who has changed his name. Yes. To He's... Chris with a K. Yes. Because he agrees with me yeah. that C is a bad letter. You're both maniacs, but we all right. You not use it anymore. I can't, I can't go with you on this one. No, it's very good. Because, Mary, as I've said to you before, yep. I do not like the idea uh-huh. of a language losing that its makes roots. makes sense. No, no. It's not. I, well, no language makes sense, Mary. Mm. All languages are invented on, on the fly. Right. They're all a whim. Yeah. And that's fine. Like I don't think we can complain about that. Some make more sense than others. No, none of them make sense. Unless it's Esperanto and that's just a, an invented language and it's silly. Mm. No, I don't like it when a language loses its roots. And one of the roots of our language is mm-hmm. Latin. Mm-hmm. And a Latin letter is C. Mm-hmm. And so it must remain. Right. Disagree. Anyway, um, <laughs> I disagree and so does Chris. Apparently. With a K. A couple of nuts. Mm. Hope you guys enjoy your little group together, your little uh, anti-C we will. I don't know. We'll enjoy it very much. Well, I hope it doesn't catch on. That's all I'm saying. Because mm. Mary? I hope it does catch on. With a K? Yep. With a K-A-T-S-H. Oh, see, it doesn't work. It's catch. Yeah. It's not catch. Yeah. It's catch. Catch. Yeah. No, no. Catch. Catch. Not catch. Te- catch. Cats. No. Catch. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like someone's having trouble with their own argument over here. <laughs> anyway, Mary, how else can they reach us? Um, Not using the letter C. S- I, also, I also want to point out that I, I enjoyed Chris's letter. I also want to point out that Sneaky Dragon doesn't have the letter C in it. It's true. Anyway, um, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Yep. You have to use a C for that one, though. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, also on Twitter. At Sneaky Dragon. No, Sneaky underscore Dragon. That is correct. Or on Facebook, which uh-huh. does use a C in Facebook, uh, at Sneaky Dragon. Oh, these unfortunate Cs popping up everywhere. And if you look are looking for ways, other ways to reach us, if you go to the website, the menu bar has a has a little thing you can click on that says contact us. And you can find the way to contact us using semaphore flags, <laughs> smoke signals, by telegram, yep. um, by... Some sort of... Tin can with a string? Uh, tin can with a string. Yeah. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> some sort of singing telegram that you send on holidays. Oh, that would be good. Um, and... Oh, um, Pony Express. That's true. And also snail mail. Snail mail. Has our snail mail address there. Yes. So if you want to send us a, a handwritten letter and a perfumed envelope, hmm. that is the way to do it, everyone. Seems hmm? like a lot, what? but okay. Okay. It's up to you, Mayor. Okay. Just saying. You make your own rules. I don't think it's a good idea to do that, though. I already have. Getting rid of the letter C, <laughs> didn't you hear? It's all the rage. Yeah. It's it's all the craze. Yep, with the... a K. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. All we right. will see you in a bye week. In a fortnight. Not a word. Neither's yours. Mine is a word. Okay, bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.